Tim Ferriss told me to buy Cricket Flower Bars, and I did so because podcasts program your brains. This is the bold new future that we're tasting, where humanity gets most of their amino acid from small insects. So yeah, this idea grave is powered by Cricket Flower, <laughs> soon to be in everything. You would have thought that you might have told me it was crickets before I ate it, but I'm not mad at you. Others, another person might be. I'm mad at you. <laughs> I'm mad at you. I've eaten crickets before. Anyways, chocolate crickets. They're delicious. I'm not, like, wholly against eating insects. Just, uh, I don't think I'd ever eat like, a spider or something like that. The lame thing is, in the all-insect diet future, people who have shellfish allergies can't participate. Because if you're allergic to shellfish, you'll probably be allergic to bugs. Really? Same deal. Interesting. Same kind of family. Yeah, I mean, that just, that's actually not that surprising to me. I've always thought that a lot of sea creatures and bugs have been too similar to one. That's why I don't eat pretty much anything from the water or the I sea. I don't eat anything from the sea. I don't. I don't. And everyone gets so mad at me when I say that. But, like, you know, I'll eat anything on land. I'm, I'm okay with trying that stuff. I'll try snake. I've tried, like kangaroo and moose and stuff like that we i'd fucking eat a penguin i don't care but when it comes to fish shark like crabs any of that stuff just weirds me out too much they're like big sea bugs it's an interesting divide because what do you think is more natural to eat things that are as close as possible to your own species or as far far away as possible from your species because we should be all in my point of view if you're team people Right. Going after bugs seems like the, the farthest thing. It's, you know, like fucking starship troopers. They're our natural enemy. Killing they're, them, they're, sure. They're so primitive. <laughs> I don't I don't mind waging war on the bug. I just don't know that I want to eat them once we kill them all. Um, I mean, if, we, if you ate the farthest possible thing away from you, it would be plants. Always. For that's everything. We, everyone Flora would fauna. Yeah, everyone would just be eating plants all the time because that's the farthest possible thing. I think... Uh, at least for us, based on our food chain, we're kind of wired to eat things pretty close to us. Each other, probably. I mean, how quickly we could revert to cannibalism. But isn't that there? Wasn't there an X Files episode about that? Like when you eat human flesh, you get these little free radicals or something that make you go crazy. Like your body can't digest human flesh properly. There's certain parts of the the human body which i think are super poisonous to other humans mm. and the brain i think the brain is really really bad for you um and there were when they found all these old cannibal tribes that still existed in the rainforest that were sort of untouched there's still tons of them around that a lot of them suffered the same weird diseases and it was all brought on by eating human meat i don't know what that's about that's weird that's like a that's almost like a self-defense mechanism we've built up we just become poison to each other, so it's not advantageous <laughs> for humans to eat other humans anymore. There had to be a downside. There couldn't all be, you know, jungle jungle rhythms and fancy shamanic ritual and the honor of being consumed by your people. Yeah. There needed to be a downside. This idea great. Also brought to you by weed. Sticky icky. Sticky icky. Junior caramels. And VR. I don't think I've had a junior caramel in 15 years. Oh, buddy. We're, uh, we're going to crack that box open. We're going to get your first Junior Caramel in 15 years on tape. The, um, the, the food experience that you exposed me to 
that's most memorable is mixing the smart food popcorn with the uh, with malt balls. Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that's a great eye opening snack. That's like the ultimate stoner food. Well, first time I had it, I was like, I can't believe I ate just ate an entire bag of popcorn and an entire bag of Maltesers without stopping. And it's it's kind of fun too because you can get a little bit of randomness in what bite is going to come next. Are you going to get three kernels of popcorn for each ball of chocolate, or is the proportion going to be a little bit different this time around? Are you going to get a lot of chocolate, not that much corn? Are you just going to get all corn, which is a fully disappointing handful, and then you're really anticipating that next one having some chocolate in it? And then sometimes the chocolate balls that have fallen way to the bottom of the bag, they pick up some of the the popcorn cheese residue. Mm, Cheesiness. (laughs) Uh, so work on that, cricket bars. You need a flavor that tastes like some che- cheesy combination chocolate. of cheese and chocolate. Chocolate and cheese. Get it sponsored by Ween. <laughs> oh, man. So this is the all-VR episode. VR episode, which I, I really wanted to do because this year is going to be the year of VR. It's Dawn of VR. All the, all the past few years and the various oculus rift dev kits and all the different vr experiences that have been popping up have kind of culminated finally now in a few big release dates coming up uh mostly the oculus rift and the playstation vr headset that used to be called morpheus in vr uh and when it was uh, just a prototype just a pipe dream just a pipe dream well this is our virtual reality glove it's called the data glove and the idea is that you can put on this glove and the glove lets you feel a world that doesn't exist as if it's real and pick up things in the world as if they're real. I mean, the big things now are just how are we going to adapt to this brand new like wearable device? I mean, people were pretty hesitant to buy into Google Glass and it kind of went away. It's gone back to its development stage because it wasn't ready. Oh, people. that's that's totally going to be most people's first experience that Google Glass because yeah. there's no buy-in, right? You can get the little cardboard sleeve and hold your phone to your face and then play some of the apps and not get quite as immersed but sort of yeah but i mean i think the i mean one of the big things the facebook acquisition got everyone's attention and i think they'll figure out a way uh their marketing team and with all the data that they've been able to mine from everybody guaranteed they're going to figure out a way to make it super advantageous for your average consumer to buy it otherwise they wouldn't have paid so much money for it mm-hmm. which i think was like a billion dollars or something like that they ended up paying for oculus Rift. it's an interesting projection too to say like 2016 is going to be the dawn of vr because i feel like vr has been on the verge of dawning for 25 years 25 years and it's been envisioned <laughs> in like in popular culture i was trying to think of all the times i'd seen it in i wanted to culture. do like kind of a, a brief rundown yeah. Of uh, the different things you've seen, people, the different places that VRs popped up in yeah. popular culture. So I went on YouTube and I searched for funny VR moment. <laughs> right. And it was Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote. Right. And I downloaded the episode and it's quite fantastic. Yeah, you were watching it when I came in. And it, it, I mean, it was almost filmed like a Tim and Eric skit where she kept looking directly into the camera when she said things like almost breaking the fourth wall peering into the viewer's eyes as she delivered a line the best, the best is she's walking with her old jewish friend at the beginning and he's he's talking about how like these newfangled inventions will never catch on 
And she's like, you've got to embrace the 21st century. He's like, ah, these computers. It's a fad, I tell you. A fad. Angela Lansbury. She's always hip. She's hip. She's, she's hip and writing cool. all of her novels on, on an early PC and, you know, supporting VR companies and stuff. I believe there's a... Uh... <laughs> Isn't there a sensual masturbation episode with or a product with Angela Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking, I, I believe it's like one of those weird VHS things of like relaxing with Angela Lansbury where she like teaches you she's like you know you have to be in touch with your body you can make it special with soft towels and fragrant oils the idea is to turn something ordinary into something special that's why I give myself a deep tissue massage every day she's like rubbing her legs and getting awfully close to the hips and you're like oh man and then there's she's in the tub for some she's of it, in the tub yeah it's a uh, very romantic. Very romantic. I want a VR experience of that. I want to. Sp- I want to fucking spend an evening with Angela Lansbury. Give her a deep tissue massage. These are the type of niche products that we have to start working on now if we want to corner the market and contribute to the VR revolution. Well, I mean, and that sort of leads me to what was going to be my, my first big and obvious focus, which is just VR porn. <laughs> it's straight up like going to be the only thing that drives that industry for a while is how porn changes to meet that demand. Cause it was already like once they had 3d TVs at, and 3d monitors at home right away, it was like in the blink of an eye before there were any good games or like great movies out that had 3d compatibility. There were shitloads of porn, just like an inconceivable amount of 3d porn. Uh, so I think that the VR it, it, it'll be this year and like by next year, There'll be such a filthy landscape of like 360-degree fuckfests. I'm pretty sure Angela Lansbury's still alive, so we could probably email her and get the rights. You know, you just convince her that there's a subset of uh, teenage masturbators that are really into murder she wrote, and you say, you owe it to your fan community to sign over the rights to your likeness so that we can make a VR simulation. Where someone fucks you. <laughs> no, get in that tub with you. Get in that tub. With a deep tissue massage. Butt sex, she wrote. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, like, so... One of the one of the reasons that I think the, the porn industry is going to be so important to the development of VR is because, like, the big thing about VR and what the kind of buzzword around VR is immersion, right? Like, yeah. Im- immersive VR and... You know, there's different there's different angles of people trying to get out immersion. Some people are going the way there's this thing called the void, and the void is like a a mixture between VR and physical spaces. Mm-hmm. So this team has sort of made this uh, first person shooter level, uh, and they've built it in like really simple geometry in an actual warehouse space where it's just like a bunch of white panels and like curved surfaces and stuff like that. But then you get hooked up with a VR headset and like kind of a weighted gun that responds as your controller. And you and a couple of friends can get loose into this mazy level. And the geography is all there for you to touch with your hands if you reach out. And the gun responds to where you're holding it in real space. But then projected on those white things are nice textures. Crazy aliens are coming at you. You're like having this full-on Doom experience. Uh, they're adding in like jets that shoot out a little bit of water and mist at you and like fans like when a big tube opens up for an alien to step out you feel the cold air and rush of wind out of the sealed tube really trying to hit home 
early on on this VR experience where you're just going to be gaming in real spaces and they'll have to pay a very low overhead to actually build these things because it's all just cheap white plastic paneling and just the basic geometry of a room and then you can project these fantastic things and you can reuse that same design over and over and over for 50 different concepts right and just keep reusing the space and redesigning it for a very cheap I think that'll be the new arcade, that mm -hmm. these kind of places are going to pop up like fucking escape rooms everywhere around the city once people catch on to that idea. Yeah, totally. It'd be something good for screamers to get into, too, as well, because you can imagine walking through a darkened maze with a VR headset on. Oh, yeah. That would be pretty pretty trippy. Oh, amazing. And, and I really like the idea that you're building in some of these sort of forgotten technologies that were ridiculous gimmicks at the time. Like, the idea of smell-o-vision was something that kept coming up in pop culture in the 90s when I was a kid. There was always some joke about smell-o-vision or blah, 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 because, like, what's going to be after TV or how are you going to make TV more real? So when people weren't talking about VR, it was just weird, ridiculous gimmicks like stuff your TV could do, like smell-o-vision. But now, actually, that makes a lot of sense. The idea of putting in a little smell generator inside that helmet... So when you walk out of a dingy basement and it's generating this, like, musky smell into the open air and suddenly you get this, like, fresh hit of oxygen. Fresh hit of vape. It's, it's that... Vape hit. Yeah, it's like that fucking immersion uh, trick, right? Where all you have to do is trick a certain number of your senses. It's, it's already, like, can trick your average person. You watch anybody trying out <laughs> the Oculus Rift with a, uh, a roller coaster and they're, like, freaking out, thinking that they're going to fall... Over the side of the roller coaster. Like, they immediately forget that they're in real life. There's got to be somebody <laughs> in the edit that was just completely bored. <laughs> they got rid of all of the, the non-hackers. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, it's just so funny how many of those videos you see where people just put on this headset and then they immediately seem to lose their balance or, like, their perception of, like, Wowzers. oh, this is... Yeah, so if it works that well now when the technology is so crude, imagine when it can simulate wind rushing past your face or, you know, all these different things. It's a really... Oh, oh coffee's on. Oh, thanks, JRG. Thanks, JRG. JRG's been excited because she bought nude heels earlier today. She's click clacking She's around, been clomping them. around really the house nice. in her nude heels. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, coffee. You won't be able to imitate coffee in the VR experience. Nope. Maybe the smell though. Mm -hmm. The smell of morning coffee. And like, it's just, it's funny to think of how this will just affect people's at home sort of day to day. I want a virtual child. What do you think about that? Virtual adoption. Oh. Like Tamagotchi, but you can see the thing running around your house. Yeah, no. That's a dangerous little tyke. That's totally going to be a thing. Just stuff like that. We're going to see very strange manifestations of old ideas. Virtual dog. Virtual You're walking dog. Your virtual dog with your fucking or just VR like, headset but, on. But like why even think... Uh, think within the confines of reality, right? You know, you have this virtual reality pet... Why not be your own Khaleesi and have, you know, three dragons crawling around on you while you make your dinner? You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. And I, one of the things I was thinking, you know, based on this whole, whole like immersion thing, how immersion's super important. The porn's going to really contribute to that because they are going to find new physical ways to connect to that VR headset. Mm -hmm. It's all going to be really like. 
you're going to have this 360 porn experience, but that's not going to be enough. That's not enough of a gimmick to sell a new machine. <clears throat> like, it's crazy. I'm already imagining the, the hybrid spinoffs where, like, you're in a porn scenario and then the roof blows off the place and it's the fucking Doom <laughs> Alien. You got to pick up the gun. You know when they're doing the demo for any new product? Yeah. It's going to be something like that. Yeah. Oh, and the, the sky's the limit with this, like, VR porn kind of stuff. But... Uh, you know, Naughty America was showing off at CES 2006. They've already got some. They've already got VR porn. They've got Oculus Rift porn in the pipe. Like it's, it's coming when the Oculus Rift launches. So they were ready to go for consumer. Launch. I watched a lot of CES reviews and I didn't hear anybody mention Naughty America. I'm of course, so disappointed. Of course not, because the people are going to be talking about the real VR machines. But like, you want to look for what people are going to be actually interested in. Yeah, go check out the, the follow the money. Exactly. Follow the porn money directly back to the Naughty America headset and see what's going on there. And they've done it before. Previous machines have had weird uh, peripheral. I think we talked about this in the last episode where they've had like things you could put your dick into and they kind of manipulate it in time with what's going on on the screen. I'm not sold on that. I think that your own hand can manipulate your dick a lot better than a, a Yeah, robot. but 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 it's all about like if they can cross that threshold of immersion and yeah. they can really trick that person. You know, you're showing this like this 360 scene, they've already given into the fact that they're in this and some super famous porn star is giving them a blowjob or whatever, just doing all these wild things to them and they can feel it in real time. Maybe it's, it's enough for some people like, well, they'll just give in to the fantasy. Like, I mean, people already give into the fantasy of porn mm. and it's a very like two dimensional thing where scales are not represented properly. And like, it's that, very fake, yeah, yeah. but you're, you people give into it every Especially day. Especially when you're day. just watching 40 second clips like I do, where it's a <laughs> low resolution streaming. Yeah. And you're just like, whatever you, you give into it. So imagine how much, more invigorating these like exciting 360 hyper real porn experiences they're going to be for people i can imagine the cam girls embracing something like this because you know how when they show behind the scenes on avatar and they've got andy circus or whoever's in that movie wearing the little blue dots on their face yeah the mo capture ticks the data and animates the the cartoon version of them yeah you can imagine a vr um, scenario where a cam girl wears that equipment and sends the data through into your game and is able to interact with you and control her character yeah. that way. And that I, I love that idea. I love the the facial mapping idea. And especially if the if the headset can start doing it without you wearing anything on your face. If it's just constantly scanning your face. Because you think of something like, you know, you have the Elder Scrolls online. Like that game that came out. It's basically just Skyrim online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always think about how those games would be so awesome in VR especially if you know you're playing with other people and you can they're talking to you and you can see their face responding and that the lips are actually moving it's not a pre-programmed thing it can be done by the headsets it can already scan your face right so oh, what you're oh right yeah, cuz you could put little cameras inside inside the, of it or wear the mask that you're saying like you know even if it has to be like a non-intrusive kind of thing you just put on your face but then you're online now suddenly your avatar is moving and emoting the same way that you are, it brings that level of, you know, that fucking goddamn buzzword immersion. That's the best way to describe it in this scenario where everyone's really emoting and talking to each other, uh, which brings me to this other thing I was thinking. Um, 90s chat rooms, talking about how this brings back old technology, smell vision, all these things that are like antiquated ideas and gives them new purpose. 
90s virtual chat rooms, late 90s, early 2000s virtual chat rooms were fucking bananas popular. Stuff like Habbo Hotel or Second Life, any of these big sort of virtual space chat rooms, you could create your simple avatar. PlayStation 3 had its own version of it called PlayStation at Home, where basically you could just play these shitty mini games with your friends or stand around and dance and chat. Just a glorified Yahoo chat room with an avatar that you could like kind of live through. All these things sort of went away with the advent of new social media because everyone stopped being these like avatar versions of themselves and started just sort of communicating on the internet in a more open sense, directly with each other. The problematic <laughs> thing is you arrive at the, the sex chat room and there's a big baby there and you assume <laughs> that it's just somebody who's doing baby play, but then you find out later after the virtual sex that they actually were a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, you weren't even in the same state as that person, but is there some sort of law that's being violated? I don't know. These are new questions. Uh, cyber, cyber, cyber sex lawyers, laws. Cyber, cyber sex lawyers laws. are going to have to deal with this kind of thing. I got my degree in cyber sex laws. <laughs> Work on it now, man. The demolition man, fucking uh, cyber sex helmets, where that's just flashing crazy. There's like, all sorts rate. of new employment opportunities that this is going to open up to to the early adopters. We just got to be the the ones who are brave enough to start the company and put the logo on the internet, start yeah. collecting the money, and <laughs> also Jesse Squarespace. What I was saying right before we started recording about uh, Unreal Engine Four being free. <clears throat> guess what? It also incorporates native Oculus Rift. Ooh. You can you can develop Oculus Rift camera uh, work on it. Like it just I should open a gallery. We, we could actually like legit develop something really beautiful for free, and the resources and stuff that are available are pretty impressive. Um, as, a, as a quick aside, me and Jesse, right before we started doing this, I, I just found out that Unreal Engine 4, which is a pretty high-tech Direct 11 and Direct 12 uh, like gaming engine and like software design tool, is now free. Or maybe it always was free, and I just completely missed that. I mean, I don't have a computer People have anywhere. People been doing mods on that forever, so I wouldn't. I imagine it's probably been open source or something. Yeah, and I figured it out because I was like, oh, I keep seeing people recreating these uh, these video games in Unreal Engine. People have been doing uh, like Mario sixty four and Ocarina of Time, like N sixty four games, but redoing them in these Unreal four engine scenarios, and. I remember reading a Reddit thread, and the guy who who did the first one was kind of challenged. Oh, you should do this part of the level, and he churned it out in like twelve hours. He responded mm. twelve hours later and had already done it. So I got suspicious, and I was like, <laughs> "Wait a minute, that seems he's either a savant, amazing person with Unreal Engine, or, of code. or it must not be what I think it is." And then I went and looked at it. I was like, "Oh no, it's not at all. Like this is actually super intuitive. This is like a three D design program mixed with." like Photoshop and Premiere and all of these different tools that like I'm pretty familiar with now. Uh, and I started watching videos of people building stuff in it uh, on YouTube. And in like, you know, an hour, they're building these breathtaking 3D scenes that look great and for free. It's I, something that you should consider going to school for because my friend Deanna went to school for game building at Ryerson, I think. Right. And it was like a one-year course, and they teach you how to mod the, the game engines and build stuff in 3D, so... Yeah, and I mean it has it has VR support right away, so mm. you could get an Oculus Rift and develop a game for it, out of the box. That's I and that just really intrigues me. That really makes me want to maybe go to school for this instead because there's an opportunity there to just get in on. Because remember those like that museum simulator we were watching? There's like that. It was all the crazy perspective tricks, mm -hmm. and we had to go through the different portals. Isn't that a game? And, it's a game. Yeah, imagine that in 
VR or just something like that. Mm-hmm. A virtual uh, Salvador Dali painting that you can walk through in VR. Or a crazy mist type of scenario. Exactly. Or some sort of combination of mist and inter- in- inception where you're going into your own dreams and trying to solve a mystery. And there's going to be, be so fun. huge voids in the VR uh, market right away because there's only going to be big AAA developers and certain indie v- developers who are taking chances on VR games who are really hitting the bricks now and developing while other people are kind of waiting and being hesitant to see how the market will respond to it. Like there's a, probably a lot of game developers who don't want to get into it just yet because, you know, maybe it's not the freight train. My friends Winston and Brett from Exploding Motor Car are working on a VR project, so I'm pretty excited about that. Really? It's definitely definitely something that the, the indie community is is starting to get curious about and yeah. Well, we should uh we should try and uh see if Unreal Engine will We'll work on your old PC if it will be responsive enough. I'm pretty sure it'll be like on my old P- no, PC. No, on, on this it's only like two years old. It'll work fine. Well, I'm just I always say I mean old and just like, yeah, old, Ye old PC. Ye old PC. Uh, anyways, is it, this is this is uh, one of your new additions. Is is having show notes? Uh yeah. A little I'm, prep. I uh, yeah, I'm doing my homework a little more. Especially I've been I'm already sort of reading on vr all the time because i think it's super fascinating mm. but i wanted to make you know have a little something have a little something wrapped together what's the next item on your list i've been sort of jumping through oh. them uh i mean we were sort of hitting just keep hitting on the the immersion thing uh i would we were sort of on that note of the 90s chat rooms and how i think this will be one of the one of the ways facebook sort of is jumping on board one of the reasons they probably purchased this is they know that social media can be reinvented through VR. And it can be given, those sort of 90s ideas can be given new light in this where it's not tacky and cheesy and easy to see through to the like the way it works. It's just not a bunch of polygons and yeah. bullshit, right? I think it might be that. Mm-hmm. And also Mark Zuckerberg is kind of aware that they can't rest on their laurels. Like right. people are eventually going to get sick of Facebook and they have a lot of consumer data about the directions they're going and what people are talking about. Yeah. So it's like they see that Instagram is growing. So they go, okay, we'll jump on that. And then they see VR stuff is growing. They're like, okay, we'll jump on that. And then eventually Facebook will become like Google where it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. If you want a hard, hard look at uh, what technologies are good to invest in, just invest in the same stuff that the top CEO people are because they have all of the data. They have the proof positive marketing. I mean, they have, I don't think they have any idea what to do with it yet. Yeah, I don't know if you need to be that high up on the totem pole. I think that a lot of these things are obvious if you're part of the grassroots. Yeah, it's yeah. usually business people are in their 30s and 40s and they're playing catch up all the time because they don't know what the kids are doing. Yeah. Um, but I think they're going to take it to where Facebook almost becomes, uh, you know, this new version of something like Second Life or even the social aspect of World of Warcraft. Yeah. Where these, like, kind of cities, these super beautiful, like, hyper beautiful environments. Right. That's always been the trademark of these things where PlayStation at home, it didn't really have good mini games. The mechanics of it no. were clunky. And it still won't. I think that the first winners of this new headset are going to be, you know, Rockstar and. Um, Skyrim and other companies and other games that have already built really beautiful places to explore. And, and just, just giving be... giving you the 360 of them. Yeah. But I but I think there's also an opportunity wherein, uh, because it's so immersive, you can build super beautiful games that don't necessarily have 
the most depthy content, mm-hmm. right? Something even like Mist, that game, The Witness, that just came out. It's just exactly like Mist. It's a modern day Mist, super beautiful, super colorful. Games like that in VR, where the serenity of it all and like just being alone on this island will really amp up the enjoyment level of a game like that and speak to the generation to the like why adventure games are interesting like this generation who doesn't really understand you know Grim Fandango comes out on PS4 and all the kids are just like it's too hard it makes no sense I don't understand what I'm doing and they get bored of it and they move on they go right back to Black Ops 3 or whatever the fuck do you remember um, when you were beta testing that um, mind reading app well I, I asked uh, the muse the interaction muse I still have the headband did that did that come out yet? Did they? Oh yeah, yeah. That's okay. that's a that's completely. The, thing, the one thing that I thought was interesting was uh, when it was trying to, it was trying to get you to to, tr- to hone your your rhythms in your brain. Yeah. And it would show you a kind of a tropical beach when you were doing well and the clouds would roll in if you were letting your mind get too noisy. Yeah. I can imagine stuff like that being part of the VR experience where people are commuting in their driverless cars or on the subway and they've got the unit on their faces and they're able to like completely remove themselves from an environment that they are finding unpleasant right and just teleport themselves to cuba or so here's here's what it's an interesting here's what we do jesse because that i have that that headband and i have the dev kit for it which it feeds i can feed the raw data from your brain Mm -hmm. out you can output it into like so there's got to be a way there'll be a way for us to have that talk to the unreal engine uh we'll go in half and half on an oculus rift it's got a pretty high price tag when it comes out in march 600 bucks whoa but we we split on it we start developing the first thing that uses brainwaves the first vr experience that uses brainwaves to edit the experience so maybe like the less focused you get, it get it becomes more chaotic and things start like becoming almost eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Everything becomes sort of faded and like jagged and hard to look at. And then the more you focus yourself in and calm yourself down, it becomes this super beautiful forest again, beautiful beach. Everything is relaxing. You could go full on apocalyptic too, where yeah. just you know faces start to set on fire and yeah. six headed demons come up from the. Yeah, ocean. and we can we we can play with different ways because it feeds out the different kinds of brainwaves as different values mm-hmm. as well, right? So it's not just uh, it's not just giving you like one singular like all oh, this person is calm or not calm. It's like they're putting out this much delta and this much beta wave and like this much alpha. So those different values could help uh, you surf through an experience. Yeah, and different thing. It might not even just be a manner of calm. Sometimes we might want people to focus. Yeah. Like to actually focus on something and bring because I've I've tested it out before I've like done whole sessions where I don't try and be calm I read something really complicated or I try and learn something and I watch the graph data of what my brain looks like when I'm trying to learn mm. so clearly it can sense that too of like when someone's peaking and like really focusing in so my we, friend Alex McLeod is um, the fine artist and he did a VR kind of experience that used that headset to pilot a camera through one of his landscapes because he does these like cgi um fantasy worlds right and uh yeah it's similar to what you're saying i think i think we could develop that I, it's I, difficult for people to master control of the thing it, yeah. it, it would definitely be a club but, kind but, of thing but we people get good at it but we could make something that we could show at like you know an 
an art gallery or something like that, that's more, it's not supposed to be a matter of mastery is that the experience is different for everyone based on how they're reacting to it. Mm-hmm. So whether or not they're like annoyed or perturbed by what's going on, then the experience changes to be something else. Yeah. So everyone who puts on the headset, puts on the muse gets that completely unique, like run through our sort of same environment that we've created and all these different levels for it. And they've seen different parts of it at different times. Maybe they were calm at the beginning and during the middle, maybe someone else was calm at the end. So they both saw different parts of the calm world that we had created. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and you know it just seems like that's a that's something where those technologies sort of work hand in hand if you're already going to be wearing something on your face affixated to your eyes and forehead those my the headset the muse headset just fits right over your forehead and just goes over your temples your uh, front and two side temples and tucks around your ears wild so it's almost perfectly fitted to be in conjunction with like an oculus riff or any other vr headset how do you feel about the three D, uh, the three sixty video version of this stuff? Because what you're kind of describing is mostly um, video game. How video games are going to become more immersive? Have you seen right. the three sixty video version where you just get a three sixty camera and you kind of film a movie? And yeah, and can that's interesting. I think that for right now, um, because of the nature of VR and it's supposed to be this like immersive and interactive experience, the idea of a movie being inside of it still still feels really clunky. And every time I see like this kind of 360 degree uh, video on YouTube or I like see any of these sort of experiences people are having, it always just feels like, okay, well, remember when you were playing something, you'd play like a first person shooter game where you could move around and run around and then you'd play a different one where you were locked onto rails and it would be like just Panzer Dragon. Yeah. And you'd just be like kind of moving around behind this crate and then out behind it and then to another crate and just like taking this very linear motion through the level every single time. That's how a 3D uh, 360 degree movie is going to feel for a really long time until they figure out clever ways to not only film it from that singular point, but from like kind of everywhere in the room, you're almost going to have like that street view movie that you can walk around in. And what can... I was kind of imagining, I've, I've been working on this project called eavesdrop where I just kind of yeah. record live storytellers talking about something that happened to them. Mm-hmm. And I was imagining kind of a waking life experience where you're at a party or you're in a hotel or something and you could wander through this place and, you come in and out of people's conversations that they're having with each other. Right. And you just eavesdrop on people talking, you know, telling extraordinary things to each other. I think that that'd be kind of a relaxing. We could make that. We could make that. Yeah. It sounds, I think that that sounds feasible to me right now. With it's the free, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> free. <laughs> All you need is a PC. All I need, I just, yeah, I need to get something better for sure. Shopping around, you going on the um, I need a job trading first, post. I need to lock down that no, job. No, well, you were telling me about that trading post. Place. Yeah, but like, no one we no, can like save up bottle caps or some <laughs> other. It, it, nothing, nothing that good ever comes item. up. Pretty much the best thing you're gonna find is probably like an iPhone or something like that. You're never gonna get a PC with the needs that we have. You have one already. We could definitely make it on yours. I think. But we need two machines, man. You yeah. can't just work here all the time. I know that. Yeah, yeah, and that's t- true. And this, uh, you know, machines with good specs aren't that expensive. How much does a PC cost? Like 300 bucks? Probably, yeah, for, for sure. Decent, just 
Chromebook or something? No, you need something better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need I need like a decent amount of RAM. That that that's all it is really. I need a high end video card and RAM if I'm gonna be working with Unreal Four. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, aside from VR, for a second, for weirdest thing I saw all week. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have one, but uh, our new segment play play <laughs> play the music for weirdest thing I heard this week. The experiments Weird. in format are going to be a segment in themselves. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I, I don't worry. There's going to be give this to me to cut. I'm going to cut it. Uh, cut, cut certain it things out, like what I'm saying. Mini sewed. Right now. Mini sewed. No, no, no. I'm just going to. I'm just going to cut all this out right now, and then keep the interesting stuff in. But anyways, start theme song for weird thing I heard this week. Uh, or weird thing I saw. Anyways. Pretty much the most awkward moment I think I've ever seen in American politics, mm. which is saying something because there's some awkward, awkward things. This that has have been the been craziest election ever. Pretty much the craziest election ever. And like, you know, we've seen George Bush try and open a locked door and then stand there awkwardly, like struggling with a locked door during the GOP debate on Saturday, Saturday night. Uh, they were calling out all of the different uh, candidates for the debate. They call out, blah, blah, blah. They call out Ted Cruz. And then they're like, Dr. Ben Carson. And he's already walking out. But it's so loud, he misses his name. So he gets to the threshold of the stage. And then he stops. And he waits there. And the applause rolls on and rolls on and rolls on. And he doesn't move. Why doesn't the announcer just say it twice? Because the announcer doesn't realize it's happened. They're not even looking over there. <laughs> so now He's just a bot. So now he's just standing to the side. So they announce another person. So the next person comes out and just walks right past. And Ben Carson stands there. A PA comes out and tries to push him off and goes, Ben, go, go. And he shakes his head and stands there. Here's where it gets even stranger. They go, businessman, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump comes out and he sees that Ben Carson is still standing there. And so he sidles up. And just waits there with them. So now Donald Trump and Ben solidarity. Carson are standing off to the side while the did rest... Did he miss it too or he's just like, no, I want to do solidarity with, with Solidarity ben. with Ben Carson. He want, he seemed to want to make sure that Ben Carson got his proper introduction. <laughs> so he waited out there. And finally they called Jeb Bush out last. Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush walks by and like taps one of them on the shoulder and just goes... And looks away, almost doing the pull his collar kind of awkward moment, and walks up, and the applause kind of dies down, and then the announcers are finally like, and again, Ben Carson, and then he finally walks out, and then Donald Trump just stays there, and he goes, ah, and of course, finally, again, Donald Trump, and he finally walks out, but it's a solid, like, 30, 40 seconds of them standing off to the side of the stage while everyone else comes up. It's bizarre. Pure comedy gold. There was a similar moment like a month ago where Hillary Clinton didn't get back from the bathroom on time. And I thought the reaction was so funny because the next day there was like salon articles talking about how she was a victim of the patriarchy because no woman can be expected to get back from the bathroom in in that short a time. I was like, I have never heard this before, that women take longer to pee than guys. What's that mean? I mean... I've pissed beside so many girls at campfires and stuff like that, and they pee just as quickly as anybody else. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, that's just like twisting a story in order to distract from it, right? Of like, oh, Hillary Clinton is late from the bathroom. So she's like, well, I wasn't late. 
I was taking my time. I'm a woman. And like, of course, it's going to be this whole big thing where now like, oh, should we be imposing yeah, yeah, these yeah. strict bathroom and breaks I'm, I'm on asking politicians? Legitimately, like I was I was talking to Jessica and stuff genuinely curious like is this a thing like it's known yeah <laughs> they need more time in there Jessica's and what take exactly on it. she's like i don't know i i pee fast yeah <laughs> she's in and out i don't know quick. i don't trust hillary at all she doesn't have a trustworthy face and she just like <laughs> i don't believe her story where was she really when she said she was in no the i i just i think she's she's got a really <laughs> clever publicist team behind her and she's bought and sold and that everything she does is a really like, I don't know, just a a crazy setup, sort of fake feeling action. She on Saturday night, Bernie Bernie Sanders was on SNL, mm-hmm. and uh, Hillary Clinton instead, who she's been on SNL before, she yeah. went to she went to Flint, Michigan, and then put out like weird press things that where she just kept saying she's like I. I wasn't in New York. I was in Flint, Michigan, where the Flint, Michigan people of Flint, Michigan needed me because out here where I am in Flint, Michigan. Oh, Bernieing Bernie. Uh, yeah, and being like, I wasn't there. You want Bernie? So hogging, I can do Bernie. Hogging the spotlight on SNL. I was out there in Flint, Michigan. I rolled up my sleeves. Yeah, but you're not president. What were you doing in Flint, Michigan other than just being there? <laughs> campaigning. Yeah, yeah, campaigning. That doesn't mean you were doing anything. You shouldn't. Be, you were in Iowa days before. Like, were you being like, I was in Iowa. I was like, yeah, just, well, just trying to cash in the, on the fact her that there's plight spent in. last week being super brutal in the criticisms of Bernie Sanders and saying that none of the programs are realistic and that everyone should just give up on their dreams of a better future. And I was like, who is who is instructing this? Who's steering this ship? That's the worst advice ever. Because like they they have a portal into yeah. Canada. They know yeah. what happened in the Canadian election. Yeah. The way the centralist wins, mm. you got Trudeau and you've got like a popular left candidate out left the left just promised them everything that Bernie Sanders is promising and yeah. she'll win the election and then she doesn't have to do any of it because the president never does what they say during the, <laughs> yeah. the campaign. I think uh I don't think Hillary Clinton stands a chance. I think she's going to destroy herself in this campaign mm. just incriminate herself and push too many of the, her constituents away and that bernie sanders is uh he's a rare breed of politician rare bird he like he really doesn't have like a skeleton filled closet he, he doesn't have anything where you're gonna dig out this thing where bernie gets caught in a lie or he gets caught in double talk the dude <laughs> and his morality and his ideology are rock solid. And that's exactly why he's in the position that he's in. He was all, He's almost like in a field of candidates that are driven by self-aggrandizement. Mm-hmm. This is just a guy that's been saying the same message for 40 years and an underground activist crew that met each other on Occupy Wall Street and have gone on to spread into digital networks. Yeah. Still friends for life. Because how can you not be after an experience of like camping out on the street with people? Yeah. They've chosen who to get behind. And they've done it with like a lot of research and care. And it's the exact opposite of Barack Obama in a weird way. Because like he's the opposite of the image. Like he's he's all substance and no image. Yeah. He's an old white guy. The thing that like is not um, hip or trendy right now yeah. in, in people's vision they think that that's the problem with the old world the old the symbol of the old paradigm yeah but 
he believes in all of the the, the the stuff that they care about. And I think that the only element that he's missing is he's got to get the endorsement from Warren, Elizabeth Warren. And if the two of them run together, that will immediately put aside any kind of criticism that he's too old because she's the, the, the younger person that shares all the values. So he dies, she picks up the torch. It's exactly yeah. what you want from a vice and I don't, president. And I don't think, I think Bernie's will be, Bernie will be a one-term president. I think he he knows that and he wants that um, at his age where he's going to have four years to get the American public motivated because you can tell everything. That's what makes Fired him such, such a unique candidate is that he is willing to admit that the position of president doesn't mean shit without the help of like millions of Americans. If you, if you let the idea uh, remain that, you know, the president can change everything and just by simply getting out and voting, by campaigning for somebody and getting out and voting and getting them elected, that that person will then just fix everything for you. They need your I help. How, I wonder how he would feel about Uber. Because that's the, the side of uh, that kind of left-wing activism that I, I kind of get squeamish about when they start to say things like join in solidarity with the with our taxi cab brothers as they fight for their right to keep driving cars in toronto you know that side of it where it's like oh god you guys are just trying to de- delay the the inevitable well i mean one of the i uh, he's he's someone who's very much a like he's hard hard into the the gray truth of the Tilt matter that up a bit yeah uh the gray truth of the matter and that you know there, there is no black or white in the like taxi Uber issue. It's Uber's doing some fucked up things that are obviously like breaking the rules in Toronto mm-hmm. on some level, and like you know now they're not paying the drivers very well anymore. The pay's gone down, um, and but I mean the taxi system was broken too. The taxis were so too, the Uber too drivers can't set their own rates. No, the rate, rates are based on. Uh, peak hours i think they're like peak use oh it's all- i thought if you had like a, a super sweet novelty car you could set your rate at like a hundred dollars a ride or whatever i think i think there are versions of and- uber that you can do that kind of thing but when you do like the uber or uber x to my knowledge uh on really busy nights like like say they had the stanley cup playoffs here in toronto like mm-hmm. game seven or whatever like just something really huge they would be like two and a half times the normal rate for Uber because it would be such in high demand, so it's kind of a fluctuating system, which it's not great. It sort of makes sense, but it's also it it leaves a lot of room for uh, profiteering, right? Where you know they just jack the prices way, way up, and they can justify it by saying, "Oh, well, the Ubers were really busy that night to get an Uber, and it might not even have been that busy." They can just fudge those numbers and be like, "No, we were jammed packed," but. Everything costed four times the amount. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of shady shit that Uber can do that people are sort of suspect of. Oh, okay. Uh, and also that it's... Yeah, I thought... I, I'm unfamiliar. I thought that it kind of worked like an eBay page where you could just give them a percentage of your profits and you have a star system for people rating you and you charge whatever you want for your ride. Yeah, no, there's a math to it. There's like a certain math mm. um, to how the, the Uber calculation works. And um, there's a difference between Uber and Uber X, right? Like maybe yeah. Uber X drivers can get whatever they want. I'm not sure. I, I know the the main difference between Uber and Uber X is that uh, Uber you have to have like a black four door. It has to be it has to be like a certain 
a certain kind of car it has to be like a black four-door car that's our brand um whereas uber x can be anything you can drive an suv or blah blah, blah. but i know it everything has to be four-door no matter what between uber and uber x you have to be able to get in your and out your own door and like so you can't get trapped in the back seat or something because mm. that's because that would be crazy right you Sketchy. get you get in someone's fucking two-door car and then they won't let you out because they're in the seat in front of you rape mobile exactly mm-hmm. uh so there are rules and i mean that's that's what people like about uber is that it leaves it renders people accountable for their actions both drivers and passengers just climb in the back of my white van yeah um, because you know there there have been lots of taxi drivers I've known who have driven off with my friend's music gear. Mm-hmm. It's happened to at least three different people I know where they're loading their gear at a venue, and they turn around to get the last thing, and the car fucking peels out, <laughs> or they close the trunk, and the car is gone. The dude just like leaves, and like it's good to ask your taxi driver to get out of the car while you load the stuff in. Stanley, and, like, we oh. gotta get a bass player. We're setting up the band, <laughs> yeah. the all taxi cab band. So yeah, I like the I like the idea of accountability that will really fix the cab market. And I think the real answer is that um, both are like problematic and flawed. They they both have issues that they need to resolve. And fighting for one or the other, saying that like one is better than the other, like taxi drivers because they've been they were here before, or like Uber because it's like the voice of the millennials. Yeah. I'm not it's, I'm not so much pro Uber as pro letting the future arrive. Yeah. Because this is this is this problematic thing that we're describing is going to happen to every single industry. Next yeah. it's gonna be the Wall Street bankers that are complaining that the algorithms and the um, AI banking software is putting them out of business. And then after that it's gonna be the friggin' um, I don't know. Healthcare doctors are going to be under threat from like Watson-style systems that c- you can just input your symptoms and it tells you the top five things you should be tested for. Yeah. Um, I mean, lawyers, like getting your your wills and everything done online with with algorithms is becoming very, very common. Um, And I think that, you know, the lawyers are going to be the first people to try to make an amendment that says that only like humans can can work on the law. You can't have digital lawyers. You know what I mean? You can imagine a a trial similar to fucking making a murderer where like uh, a very well-tuned watson-style computer listens to the arguments from the prosecutors and stuff and is able to object when he hears hearsay and stuff right it seems like a pretty that's gonna be far off you're uh no i mean uh the way the justice system works they would never allow that to happen the the amount of nuance that goes in to fighting a court case and uh you know just like simple conjecture and, and bringing up old trials and use it, you know, like it's it's this whole complicated bullshit. I mean, even making a murderer. I want to see how... it. You can I can see it in my head though. They push the Watson computer out for the, the closing arguments, and it does that default computer voice that you can choose from, like the male, the man, woman, and then the British accent or the English accent. Prosecutor, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, the case and the evidence is clear. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> Death <laughs> by Sarlacc Pit. <laughs> no, Watson. No, Watson. Death. <laughs> Electrocution. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the uh, it's good that Uber sort of forced the, the cab drivers to make moves on updating their industry. They've already started working on some kind of new app for Beck. I've known some people who've been approached about 
trying to develop a new app for Beck Taxi and stuff like that. And the competition, that's what's really ultimately going to produce is something that's in the middle between cabs and Uber that works a lot better than either of them could on their own. Well, I mean, it seems to be developing the same way as um, song streaming or any other innovation on the internet. You have like this early Wild West um, period where somebody invents something cool that solves a problem. Everybody loses their minds. And then eventually the corporate side of it makes partnerships or builds their own version of it. Yeah. So they can steal the innovations and get all the money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so Beck Taxi or some other giant consortium of, like, every taxi company in North America, they hire a bunch of coders to come together and make a clone of Uber, and they are able to control the rates that go through it, and suddenly they own the business. I think that's so unfair. Like, somebody spent some time to launch a company that's innovative, and you're not going to respect their patents and stuff. Yeah, and also, like, it just... It's super, like, since when do we live in a place where when a new idea comes around, that's really, like, it's not as harmful as people would have you believe, right? Like, people are still using cabs, but it exposed a a horrible problem with cab drivers and with cabs in general that, you know, it proved that could be solved. These things could actually be solved. People could be held accountable for their driving. Passengers could be held accountable for... There, vomiting in the cab, vomiting in the cab, right? Like that. It it just needs to be regulated. They need to come to some kind of agreement. Uh, The government needs to step in and actually make a stance. Weren't you dragged from a cab wearing like a single cowboy boot? Yeah. At one point. (laughs) Yeah. Why you want that story? (laughs) Save that for eavesdrop. I remember you coming home one day with just a single cowboy boot on and wondering where it had. You're like, oh yeah, I got dragged from that cab. I must have lost. So I got the scar on my nose. I had two black eyes. I was covered in road rash on my chest. I was like, I woke up that next day covered in blood, not remembering what had happened, and still with like my face painted. Story for eavesdrop for sure. Oh, that was the day of the dead night. Uh, it it was the yeah the the summerween party. Right, like my face was painted. It was my birthday. I drank probably about a, an entire two four of Bohemian, <laughs> the worst, most sludgy beer of all time, which will just make you crazy. Yeah, then took some drugs and went on a journey. Man, <laughs> had a fight with a cab driver and got uh, jumped out of his car. I'm just uh, imagining uh, post Uber what your rating would be. <laughs> Showed up in Day of the Dead makeup, wearing cowboy boots well that was that i mean high on drugs that cab driver either was an idiot for picking me up because if you were driving down the street and you saw a guy no shirt on like completely shirtless with his face painted in skull makeup with feathers in his hair and a headband on uh, sometimes prejudice works with bright red pants and cowboy boots yeah. stumbling and falling all over like just manically high on MDMA and drunk on an entire I got a good feeling about this skeleton. and he, he was skeleton like warrior. this guy it's the middle of summer but he's in a Halloween costume I'm gonna fucking pick him up and uh, he was open-minded man he was open-minded he made him pay but, <laughs> but, then, but then he immediately tried to steal my base as payment for a cab and like I it was just a crazy situation and then i jumped out of his car diehard style his moving car because he was speeding off with the open door so i just got kind of dragged along manning street you could have been killed man 
Uh, yeah, yes and no. I was all right. Yeah, but it was fun. I was a little, I was younger. I was a little springier. My bones are kind of like rubber. And I had the power of booze behind me. I was that, I was that wide-eyed crazy Brendan that nobody likes where, you know, I could, I could get hit by a car and just sort of be like, I'm all right. And still be like kind of annoying and dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. When I first met you, you didn't wear shoes. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you showed up Hobbit style on my doorstep. Well, I'd walked, I'd walked around the corner from where my friends lived at Bloor. But yeah, I was, uh, I when I lived in Brantford, I, I never needed to wear shoes. The city was relatively clean, and you didn't really like if you took certain routes, you never had to walk on like dangerous areas, whether it be broken glass or industrial bullshit. And then you just spend a lot of time at the river, so your feet build up a certain amount of tolerance. <laughs> Huckleberry to, Finn style. Yeah, where I'm just walking around in the summer with no shoes on. I got used to it. Uh, I don't do it anymore because um, the city's gross. <laughs> do, you, do you lose the callus if you stop? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I still have some like pretty thick calluses on my feet, but back when I was living in Brantford as a teenager, I had like thick, Leather rough paddle feet. Like I could, it, it would be. I could walk on super hot concrete, and it, I wouldn't even feel it. It'd be awesome, kind of. If you're not shoeless, you kill us. There's a VR experience. Shoe, shoeless Brendan, <laughs> new to the city, going on adventures in his, his floppy, uh, what was that hat that he used to wear before the toques? It was kind of like a, it was like a newsboy cap or oh, something. Yeah. Like, a, like a banana cap. <laughs> it was a banana cap. Banana cap. Wide-eyed. Experiencing. Wide-eyed. Hey, this band I can join. Hey, there's a house I could move into. <laughs> this looks big enough to have parties. Boom. I'm going to take it over and then party right into the fucking ground. It was a crater when I came and visited it last. And then they put up a whole new house. Yeah. I mean, once we knew we were getting kicked out of it, that was sort of it, right? No one cared about it anymore. It wasn't my home anymore. For a while, it was like, that was home base. But I knew Bottom was going to come in and take it. That, and I've been thinking about that a lot recently, how uh, there's just a real void in, uh, <laughs> in your heart, in my heart, where I just wish I could do that kind of thing still occasionally run a party like that. You can do it. Yeah, but you just got to rent a house and rent out the rooms and skim off the, the rent from the other rooms and then have parties in it. It's no more expensive to live where you are than to live in a place that you're under the lease. Yeah, but you got to remember Manning was like kind of a, a unique spot, right? It was it was uniquely set up in that the neighbors seemed to not give a shit at all what I was doing. They like, liked me. But even after you left, right. like I would just bribe that little old Portuguese lady with bottles of wine and she would... Oh, you give her wine? Oh, yeah, Maria. Wow. Uh, she, she would just be like, oh, you have another party? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, some wine? I, I would just get her two bottles of wine and she'd just be like, oh. Okay, and she always had her windows closed anyway. She never complained. I always would just buy her wine because she liked it. And then the only person who gave Lynn me on the other side. was Lynn, but she lived two doors down. She couldn't really hear the parties. Yeah. She was just she was just nosy. She wanted to start problems because she was bored. Nosy neighbor and also kind of a culture war type of deal. I remember when I first met her, she was complaining about the recycling and garbage bins being in the front of the house instead of the back right and she was just like oh maybe i'm overreacting i guess it's kind of a middle class thing to keep your garbage in, in the backyard and i was like eh, she's she's recognizing the different worldviews. You know, maybe it's kids. middle class fuck you <laughs> she's she's correct though she's yeah. like a middle class retired lady and we're you know 
punk rock. <laughs> living, living, living on the edge, trying to well, trying to keep things casual, rock. trying to keep responsibilities to a minimum. Yeah, stay creative. That's why you moved to the city, because <laughs> there's not a lot of upkeep on whatever place you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I I think she was also friends with the old man that owned the house, and when he was living there, she would do all sorts of arrangements where she could keep her garden. And he would yeah. appreciate the gardening and like the flowers, and she got and, more gardening space to work. And with. that's that was the only way that I kind of kept her on board. Where one time we had a very frank discussion where she was just like, "Well, you know, you're having these parties." I was like, "But did you hear it from your house?" She goes, "No, but I like I looked out the window and I saw that you had people like a bunch of people over, like a lot of people over." And I was like, "Uh huh. Well, I mean, it." I'm not. I'm not gonna mince 25. words. I'm not gonna mince words this is what here. Twenty five is all about, Lynn. Yeah, I'm not gonna mince words here. I'm gonna continue doing this, and if you want to continue growing stuff in my backyard, then like, it's not gonna be a problem. Right? Like, all of the stuff got trampled. Every once in a while, yeah, yeah. Um, it was sorry, Lynn. That kale didn't make it. Yeah. No more rhubarb. Stomped. Some of, some of the stuff made it. We, we tried our best to keep people out of the garden, but when you have 200 people in your house, it becomes unmanageable. And with, when a bunch of people don't know you, it was easier when everyone at the parties knew who I was. Like, right at the beginning, when we had only maybe 100 people around, I could pretty much name everyone at the party. That was easy for me to be like, guys, stop doing crazy shit, or just, like, get out of the garden. <laughs> but once you... Once it got to 400, it was unmanageable. <laughs> yeah, once... You, like, I think at one of the shows, In and Out, I had, like, 350 in and out all night like my favorite um aspect of the backyard segment of it that lynn was complaining about is we had an ancient peach tree that was in the center of that backyard yeah threatening to collapse at all times for years at all times and then one day covered in black mold and then one day i came back to visit you and the backyard was off limits there was like police tape or something (laughs) it's just a tree laying so close to the house it just fell over in a windstorm when I warned Bud and a bunch of times and Joanne. And I was like, that tree is going to fall over. Possibly kill somebody. Possibly kill somebody. Lead to a lawsuit. Ah! And you're going to be upset. And you're going to be upset. But you didn't try to like fake any injuries and stuff based on it. You just said like, okay. No, I was just, over. I, w- I mean, I was always Seems on the like verge of. opportunity. I was on, always on the verge of pulling it down because the. Uh, <laughs> Swinging off of monkey style. And well, well, no, because the the coat ha- coat hook was, or not the coat hook, the fucking clothesline, clothesline was, went across was, to was it. attached to it. And every once in a while, I'd give it a little tug and be like, I could pull that down with one arm. I could just give it a good yank and pull that whole Dude, tree down. Dude, you missed out on such a good YouTube. You could be <laughs> hanging your wet laundry. Doop, doo, doo. And just <laughs> pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that on film? And you just look at the camera like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Two million views, at yeah. least. Yeah, not having... I mean, there's also advantages to not living in the, the party space that that spot was. Yeah, there's, not having to clean up. <laughs> I, I always cherish the amount I learned about people having probably like 20-plus roommates in and out of that spot over the years we lived there. Uh, yeah, you learn the kind of people you can live with and the kind of people that you just can't, <laughs> that need to go. Right. Now, there's a couple... I After you left couple times i had to be like no you got to go (laughs) is it always on one side of the spectrum that you don't get along with like is it people who are too anal or people who are too crazy or no and it's it's not even the other it's not even a matter i learned that uh that roommates and uh friends 
and enemies, the, all these like concepts are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> and like I'm friends. Sometimes you can't live with your friends. Sometimes yeah, you can't I'm, be friends with your roommate. I'm friends with some of my ex roommates who I could like never have lived with. But I think they're great people, and I like socially would love to see them all the time. And if they didn't have certain like aspects about them, like almost burning my house down twice in a week, <laughs> that, that's the kind of thing that makes you go, "Well, I love you, man, but you gotta get the fuck out of here and never come back." This kettle like, has a a power cord on it, yeah, and you put it on the burner. On the burner. My little brother did that, Brendan. Oh god, he almost burnt down my parents' house by putting. A plug-in kettle on the burner this, and melting it. This and unspecified thirty-year-old man. <laughs> oh my god! This uh, this unspecified person put a pot on the stove with water in it and then left. <laughs> left. Going partying. Yep, and melted the pot. Nice. Yeah, that's impressive. I always feel yeah. like a blacksmith when I try to pull a, a burnt pot off of the, the <laughs> element. Yes, I have. Used. To, I could pick a sword from this. <laughs> oh, VR roommates. Mm-hmm. There you yeah, go. you should do the old boxy experience. We can get like cameos from Chabot and uh, fucking Jerome, <laughs> nailing chicks keep in the next that guy. room. I keep seeing that guy in my neighborhood, all over the place. <laughs> uh, he's a powerful banker now. Powerful banker. Mm-hmm. Capital, capital investments, synchronicity, yeah. synergy. You want to take a he, quick he, five? He can, oh, I was going to say. Oh, sorry. I was going to say Jerome. We should get Jerome in on this VR project. Maybe he can get us some venture capital. That'd be awesome. Maybe he can be our, our bill man. Bill man. <laughs> well, let's take a quick five. I'm going to ask you to take a breather. Nice. And then we'll come back and finish the cardboard. Take a break. Whatever you want. <laughs> I'm giving you the I'm giving you the, the meshy voice. You can't you can't control yourself when I start to talk in low low tones. Brennan Black has been a member of the Toronto indie scene for quite some time. He's famous for his house parties. Old boxy they used to call it. Ten dollars at the door. Paps blue ribbon in the basement. Jesse Yules used to be the bartender. <laughs> Then it was, I don't know, Lucy. Mostly. Then it was Andrew. Andrew huh. and Lucy. Mostly I would just have pretty girls do it at the end. Well, we're back. I was watching yesterday. Um, I was searching, like I saw the press conference outside Gameshi's trial. And uh, the Toronto Star was going on about his superstar attorney. Because mm-hmm. apparently she's famous. And uh, I searched her name in YouTube to see some like trial excerpts. And I couldn't find any of that because I guess you're not allowed to do that in Canada. But I did find her performing at Stratford last year. Right. And they were doing, um, they had three Supreme Court justices and uh, Gameshi's lawyer and this other fellow who I guess is also of note. And they were prosecuting Hamlet and trying to see if he was like legally culpable for like the murder in, in Hamlet. Right. Whether he was insane and stuff. And it was pithy and 
slightly above my intelligence level. Like they're speaking all in lawyer gibberish. Right. And uh, doing like extreme inside jokes that only someone who's very familiar with Hamlet would be able to understand. Right. But it was kind of brilliant. You, you're talking about the immortal bard's Hamlet? <laughs> um, so I recommend it. Yeah. I'll splice some of that into this episode. Mm. We're going to have rival, rival edits. It's going to be like the Brennan version versus the Jesse version. That'd be oh, you know what? Actually, there's there's a thought. We'll have a poll. Well, no, why don't why don't we go? Why don't we go episode for episode? You did last week's. Why don't you just let me do the edit for this week for the VR episode since it was so, sort of my thing? Pick a. You get to pick the topic for next week. You get to do the edit. You get to decide how much or how little Muppets. goes into it. I'll fucking talk. I've you know what? <laughs> I got I have, a lot to say about Muppets. I got personal experience making out with a real Jim Henson Muppet in Hamilton. One that was crafted by his sweet, gentle hands. Did it smell like the 70s? It kind of had like a, a mustiness to it, like it had been in the theater basement for a long time. I think they rot. I think it's some sort of foam rubber that rots. It was like a, it was a hippie chick Muppet in like a flowery dress with like red headbands. It was like totally like a, like a 70s Muppet creation that he made. And I blacked out and made out with it. And there's a there's lots of photos of me going tongue deep on this probably rotting foam Muppet. And you completely don't remember? Uh, I have I have memories of the Muppet early on in the night. Like I remember it kind of coming out of someone's collection and being like, "Oh, here's a Muppet everyone can play with." I don't remember the point which it got out of hand, and I started making out with it. But uh, yeah, it's a fond memory. It's fun to I'm think. I'm sure about. the puppeteer must have had something to do with it. They must have leaned in. I don't think that that's something that you would instigate. Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Because you got you got to put the moves on it. You'd have to like climb over mm-hmm. the puppeteer to get at the puppet. There had to be some sort. No, of... it's like a it's like a you hold it on your hand kind of deal. Like you can operate it with your hand in front of you. Right. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't like a a stringed muppet. It was like a hand operated one. True. Yeah. But I mean, the puppeteer would have to give you a little bit of consent. Like they'd have to reach their arm out close to your head in order for you to be able to make lip contact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty know? much. Yeah. So what you're saying is consensual. There was there was consensual make out <laughs> with, with the Muppet. The Muppet. Oh lordy lordy lordy. Muppet sex. All VR. All VR. You know, I, I wanted to print it on a giant poster to kind of keep us on track. VR. I think it's impossible. The art uh, of the segue. I think uh <laughs> we could go back. We could do another uh another point on weird things I heard this week. <laughs> You have to have the cheesiest the, like spring noises and stuff when boy, you introduce uh, 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 each, each No, music. I want to put like, I want to put uh I think uh, ed- edit note I'm going to use the Monty Python intermission music from Holy Grail the <laughs> for every uh <laughs> or canned applause. Yeah, can- All right folks, this is this is what we do every week. It's called <laughs> we've been weird doing stuff I saw. Weird stuff I saw or heard <laughs> or maybe that Jesse saw or heard. Um, this one actually comes from yesterday, from Super Bowl Sunday, um, which I f- I think this is pretty scary, especially considering how much money people were paying to go to the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl, in conjunction with the local police department, installed cameras that were using automated face recognition software, and they found 17 people amongst the crowd at the Super Bowl that had outstanding warrants and arrested them. So they waited outside of the fucking Super Bowl and arrested 17 people who all had outstanding warrants on them. So basically, 
they're going to start using face recognition software in big sporting events to start picking out the criminals in the crowd. huge crowds that are all being channeled through. Being channeled through very, small like... Small bottleneck. Through like metal detectors and shit, right? Like, they're going uh, through... So they get... They have to basically look face on into a camera. That's pretty terrifying. No, like... The idea this that this is what my dad was worried about. Like I remember when this surveillance stuff first uh, came into existence. Like my dad was worried um, once all of the government computers were networked that there'd be no more hiding. Because like when it comes to kind of lower income families, like it or not, there's some rules that need to be bent in order for those families to get ahead. Right. So you know, back in the day, there'd be some counterfeit passes to the water slides or dad wouldn't pay his taxes and we'd have to move out of the the city and you know like all these little tricks that you can kind of do to to just survive yeah all of that is going to be impossible in the future like once all the computers are networked and they can share facial recognition technology in every mall and every uh, border crossing you're not going to be able to bend the rules at all like no the, the people who are stuck and having like a shitty time in life, they're never going to be able to break out of it. And the and the only the only way that you can fix that is by really taking advantage of that kind of technological creation and that sort of synchronicity between all the different computers in order to create a better utopian style life for everyone, which is fucking not going to happen because people love making money off the poor. So it's only going to serve as a horribly oppressive. Uh, manifestation of technology that's going to make everyone afraid of technology. Yeah, because on the other hand, like they could have given the opportunity to like give prizes to those people based on s- facial recognition. Yeah, sure. And you could do stuff like that, but I mean, they're never going to do stuff like that. They're only going to use it for these super brutal, oppressive things like, you know, you walk into a fucking Walmart and suddenly the police are waiting for you outside because you have 50 unpaid parking tickets and the Walmart camera recognized you on the way in. Ding, ding. Yeah. And like, you know, you you have nowhere to hide. Uh, there was a and people aren't afraid. People aren't afraid enough of security cameras in their life. Mm. There's this YouTube channel. You could look it up. Everyone can look it up. Listen to this called Surveillance Cameraman. Look at you taking my pictures? Why are you taking this picture, man? Oh, it's a video. Huh? It's a video. What? It's a video. What? It's a video. What's that? It's a video. Uh, and basically, it was, I think it was some kid's university project. He was doing something on scopophobia. He was trying to sort of show how people were afraid to be on camera only in the context of someone actually being behind the camera and filming them. So if they were going about their day-to-day lives walking down the street and someone came up to them with a camera phone and film them right in the face that they would get immediately indignant. Americans get really mad and they get they feel like their privacy is invaded even though it's completely legal to film somebody in public, yep. like completely legal. They'll get indignant. They find it rude. They'll immediately be like, "Did you ask my permission?" They'll start citing laws that don't exist. They start you getting need a super, permit. You need a permit to do that. You need to pay me. You need to ask me to do that. Why are you doing this? Are you, you a better pervert? Blur, better blur out my face, bro. Yeah, they they jump immediately out my face. They jump immediately on like, "Oh, what are you a pervert? Are you going to go home and jack off this?" They use any justification to be like, "Well, I don't want to be on camera." Damn it, I'm American. I don't have to be on camera. Yet they walk into 50 stores a day in which they're being filmed at all times. Because they need some. It's a trade. <laughs> yeah, but like it's it's still no different. And like it's it the, the obvious difference that he's sort of showing is that 
a guy being silent and sort of holding uh, a camera at you, but you see a person behind it. It gives you this like object of anger where you're able to lash out at this very like real person in front of you. But so long as there's no one behind the camera, there could be a hundred cameras looking at you in Walmart, and you don't think about it. You're not like, well, I don't. I'm not sure I want them to watch literally everything I do inside the store and have all, all this videotape on me. But you have no choice. You can even You're- have a video wall feed with a very visible security camera yeah people passing by as long as they can see their likeness on the screen they'll perform all sorts of stuff for you yeah there's weird little mental things like the difference between you know being on someone's personal camera and being on this corporate camera or having a monitor where you can see yourself and or not having a monitor where you can see yourself that does these weird things to people and their scopophobia everyone's got it in just different degrees and you're able to trick the human brain into almost being okay with it like you've convinced an entire generation of people to be okay with being on security camera and traffic cameras all the time because it makes things safer. It reduces theft. It reduces violent crime, which, sure, it does. The implication... And there's not an obvious person on the other side of it. Like we think of the government or the police as being these like buildings and this yeah. equipment. But in reality, there is technicians that are saving these videos and making fun of your dick pics. And Yeah. How do you think any of these like videos from security cameras from hotels get online of someone falling downstairs comically or like you know any of these things they they're like cell phone recordings from some dude's job who's like watching you on camera watching the things you do and is bored he's sitting there for hours with the time all the time in the world to pour through the different cameras and just find shit to laugh at find people to incriminate like whatever it's just it's a job that's been created right and people forget that that's what those cameras represent how could you possibly hide justify hiding hidden cameras in the marriott hotel hey it was on the receipt it was in the fine print we told them they were being recorded yeah you came into our motel ten dollars you came into our motel they didn't wave the they didn't sign the waiver that says they wouldn't get videotaped so we videotaped the drain cam that shows like just the taint and the balls and people showering and like and that's it that's a scary um repeating theme that seems to come up i think that must have been some kind of propaganda thing throughout history where now we associate someone taking a video of you immediately with like voyeurism like so many people in this guy's project it's almost an hour long where he's just walking around and filming people in different scenarios half the time if they're not getting violent with him right away and be like oh fucking smash that camera motherfucker immediately they're accusing him of what are you some kind of sicko you some kind of pervert you're gonna take that home you're gonna play yourself with it it's like why would you think that you're wearing clothes and you're standing outside what fucking kink fetish is this that he's videotaping you and what did you have to lead on that it's it's this like oh we have to be on the lookout for them perverts then because right. there's so many people but walking that's around it's just the modern thing that they gravitate towards the modern insult like if you were doing this 500 years ago they'd just call you a witch or or something they're just they're just they're just branding you as unusual yeah like why, why would a weirdo why would you want to put me on film deviant you know what what purpose do you have and uh and that's why, you know, Google Glass, there were people having their Google Glass prototypes ripped off their face and smashed in public because mm-hmm. people were like, you taking a picture of me right now, boy? It's like, no, I'm looking at porn on the internet while yeah. I walk around. Like, but I don't this, give a shit about this you. This is a really interesting... I've been thinking a lot about prejudices of all kinds. Yeah. And I think they're all related. And what I think is going on is it's it's a short-circuiting of the empathy in people 
Because I think that what happens is humans want to do what other humans are doing. And generally when you're from a place where people have a lot of the same lifestyle traits as you, you're comfortable because you're not being challenged. Yeah. As soon as somebody like that moves to a city that's really diverse and has a lot of different extreme fashion and stuff, yeah. there's this pull that happens when like a regular person sees somebody with a funny haircut or with a funny way of talking where instinctively they feel like they have to emulate. And there's certain things that people from a boring background, they find it hard to evolve or they find it hard to emulate that kind of stuff. They're uncomfortable yeah. going in that direction. Yeah. And I think on mass as a blanket instinct, that's what the, what people conceive as being prejudiced or racist or whatever it has absolutely nothing to do with like skin color or any of that. Sometimes I think. it does. I mean, you can't, you can't write off the people sometimes are just ignorant and hate. I think certain aspects of people for no reason. Well, I think that in general, this is like the instinct that everybody shares. Right. And there's boundaries for everybody. Like even if you had twin brothers, twin brothers and sisters that were all in the same room and one of the kids was wearing a green shirt, everybody else is wearing a like yellow shirt. Right. You'll see it in children where they'll go like green shirt, green shirt. And they go, oh, yeah, I got a green shirt and they made fun of me. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. Oh, yeah. We're somehow I that might be a product of our education system in which we are we're bringing up kids culturally to to uh, categorize and divide the different groups of people around them into very like I think stark it's a human instinct i don't think it has well, anything yeah, to do with i mean that's that's the whole reason we like name or give uh give like a title or weight to anything right is because we're trying to categorize our world mm-hmm. and sort our world that we all Absolutely. have that instinctive we need to know what this is called and what's that called and like everything has to have like a specific name and like that's why language gets so complicated because we're trying to name and describe everything around us and as the ambiguous best we things can. bug us yeah we can't get it out of our heads we're like where does that fit what slot did this go into i don't yeah. understand this yeah i don't know burn it yeah it's just it's just bizarre people and people just being afraid of things they don't understand uh you know you you'd think that it would have with the access to information that technology has given you, the unfettered access to uncensored everything, where you can really, you can do the footwork, you can take a look at as many point of views as you want, you can experience life through someone else's eyes in a sense, right, where you can actually look into it. You'd think that that would help people wake themselves up, or like, you know, they'd stumble upon something that kind of alters their worldview. What it's actually done is just reaffirmed their own worldview. The echo chamber. Yeah, more than ever. It's made everyone's confirmation bias so rock solid that they think they're the most right. And it's given them the infinite soapbox to stand on and be like, well, I don't like anybody who isn't white and straight. Me and all my Parkdale (laughs) friends were convinced that Olivia Chow was going to be the next mayor. And it turned out just Parkdale voted for her. The whole rest of the city wasn't even talking about it. Yeah, we're all we're all living in these like bubbles where that's what I think. I think that about the Bernie Sanders thing where sometimes I see all these things being posted about Bernie Sanders. And I wonder to myself, I'm like, is Facebook just showing you? Is that that just because I'm friends with people who would vote for Bernie Sanders and I'm also like visiting the kind of subreddits and stuff like that where people who would vote for Bernie Sanders would hang out? Am I just like completely missing the message here? Is he really not a a candidate? I just I always wonder about those kind of things where I just well, I think it's valid. I think uh, after the Iowa vote, Trump said to his supporters that he smelled a rat and that he thought that the, 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 the vote was rigged and I think that that's going to be kind of the reaction that most election cycles have now, where people are so in the echo chamber 
and so convinced that they've already won and then it doesn't go that way they just get they start to revolt they yeah, say like there's something wrong like no I, I did win i know i won i don't care what you said i won everyone i know voted <laughs> voted for me and i won <laughs> i'm gonna take that win all the way to the white house cletus for president uh it's too bad there are no uh cartoonish southerners <laughs> running for president <laughs> donald trump's pretty funny you have like the the all the big candidates are like new york types oh yeah bernie sanders donald trump hillary clinton they're all like like and e- they keep Eastern on seaboard. taking for granted they keep on saying like donald trump's got southern republicans locked up i'm like why he's a new york liberal has everybody forgot that this guy's not from texas and he's not a republican <laughs> at all republican. he's he's fiscally probably a bit of a republican but like for a very long time i mean he was friends with the Clintons. That's like gone on record where he's a he's a friend of Hillary and There's Bill Clinton. There's a nice photo of him and Fike, Michael Bloomberg and Bill Clinton all playing golf together. Oh yeah, you know they're part of the same clique. He's he's an interesting he's an interesting uh, just element in this whole election process. He's it's so out of left field. For him to have started running, and it just keeps getting weirder. He keeps getting weirder and weirder. Uh, it's like that. Uh, Mike Juno would be the best person to analyze this because yeah. he said back when Obama was first elected, he called him ultimate face champion. Yeah. And it was because he could see through it that like, okay, you had Bush who was this heel mm-hmm. and you needed like the new face guy, just like in wrestling where he's going to come out of the, the darkness and get everybody inspired and he's going to be wearing the stars and stripes and finally God bless America. The and, Rock has come back to the White House. <sighs> and now you've got Trump who's doing the, the bad guy thing, right? And I, it's hard to explain, but I feel like there's aspects of left-wing activism that want there to be a villain. Yeah, they miss George Bush. They miss having their boogeyman to to kind of like be the center of all of their activism. Right. As soon as like Obama got elected, it seemed like the the left started eating itself. Where yeah, you're starting to see like really passionate debates over just like the usage of a word that has become like out of fashion or um, you know very petty things like where it used to be like. There was real fear that we were headed into 1984 nightmare scenarios, and yeah, world war and stuff, right? Like, I think that's that's the peacetime is is not a friend to the, some people's psychologies. Well, no, the, the we I don't know that we were ever really in peacetime. That's the unfortunate thing. I think there there hasn't really been true like peacetime where there's not something brewing or some weird. There's always some like social enemy, right? If it if it's not peaceful, um. You know. But I'm talking about, you know, remember 2004, boots on the ground, United yeah, yeah. States like invading countries and taking out dictators and stuff, yeah. right? Like Obama's flying around predator drones and shooting up weddings and things, which is totally gross. Yeah. But they ended that kind of annexation where mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to take over this country and change the government. Yeah. I don't that, know. That it's freaked people out. I, I feel like that's a problem in North America right now is that the left is becoming too divided and again like without we can do an episode on this someday if we fucking just want to start a goddamn internet war but the political correctness like movement of our current generation is something that you know as much as it helps it hurts and like one of the divides being created is that uh you know it was looking like harper could have been elected last election because the right was just so unified behind him whereas we had this whole 
you know, NDP liberal situation in which the left and the centralists were sort of like divided between, well, I don't know who can win. I don't know who's better for me. That He agrees with some of the things and some of the other things. We're now, we're like developing these political and moral points of view that are so specific that none of them could be actually represented by anyone you're voting for unless you were just running, right? It, it, you're, you're trying to vote for yourself. We're so close to having a computer terminal candidate. Yeah. I, I feel like that's that's the next aspect of VR that I was going to say, I mentioned in the list of, of jobs that'll be automated. Yeah. I can imagine a candidate coming forward and saying like, you know what? We don't have the political will to institute direct democracy on mass, but I can promise you that I'm going to have this laptop and I'm going to have all of your contact infos. We're all going to be part of a social network. Yeah. And every single bill that comes in front of the house, I'm going to give you a summary. We're going to take an online vote and then I'm going to vote what my constituency says. I won't have anything to do with it apart from being the administrator of the technology. Right. And I think a person like that could win. And uh, Asimov wrote about that a lot. There's like a lot of ideas that Asimov predicted that have come completely true. I mean, we're on the cusp of uh, AI, which obviously was one of his big themes. He sort of predicted the Internet and this sort of central machine that would help us start figuring out our problems, both socially and uh, on a tech level and on like, you know, a scalable city level, like how to design better cities, how to design better things in general, better machines, better products, all these things. Uh, it's happening because this like central machine is facilitating it all for us and helping us store the information, helping us manage it. Uh, one of the other things he also predicted is that that same machine would eventually advance to the point where everyone could feed their needs into it from their homes everyone in this family decides you know what they think about this what they think about that uh and then it got so evolved that eventually all it needed to do was ask the most average person in america a series of like a hundred questions so it does this weird like lottery thing where it it finds someone that's right in the middle that has like the average amount of kids in an average sized house with an average paying job who's like you know uh doesn't have any like health problems or whatever he's of an average american age he's just like dead set or middle they find that middle person they pick that guy and they ask him a series of questions and based on his responses and his needs the machine dictates what the country needs for the next four years and just makes all those sweeping <laughs> decisions right it's a funny idea where you laugh because you're like oh well, we'd never do that we'd never let a computer do that but is it such a crazy or bad idea to think that maybe a a cold calculated computer as you know designed by humans yeah it might have some flaws but it might do a better more honest job than any human ever could or ever has yeah and just simple responsibilities right like everybody kind of knows that they should be contributing their rsps through their whole life in their 30s and stuff and they know yeah. that they should there's there's proper things that they should set up in order for to get like financial security or like job security. All these little tactics that are kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. That and some people like do naturally and end up way farther ahead. It'd be nice if there was software solutions on the part of the government that would just take care of certain things that, you know, yeah. 2% of every dollar that you earn and, goes into like a, a it, kittle. It's that thing where, I mean, AI is scary and a lot of people are afraid of it, but there's things that could come out of it and 
implications of it that are really uh, utopian. They're mm-hmm. they're like so far beyond what, where we are socially right now. I mean, if you if you had a oh, I just thought of something. What? Because you could, if you had that um, questionnaire mm-hmm. and you had the different um, recommendations that the software came up with, it would be interesting to see if you could program blockchain to be able to divvy out that uh, that money based on the recommendations. Yeah. And then you wouldn't even need an administrator, right? Like you could just have the blockchain start to send off little bits of Bitcoin to whatever accounts it needs to fulfill the promises. Yeah. Well, like, because I, I keep envisioning one of the things that I think could be is solvable in our lifetime with the whole advent of self-driving cars and like low-level AI is you could create major roadways that are efficient, uh, that don't need the kind of space that they're currently made up of, that are eco-friendly, and that manage traffic themselves. Like the mm. self-driving car is all you really have to do to get p- your average person involved in that idea is appeal to the laziness of the middle class and be like, hey, listen, you can still have your own car. You can exist in your private little shell. You don't have to share it with anybody. You can get to work, but the entire time, you can fuck around on the internet. You can read Reddit. You can watch TV. You can take a little nap in your car, and the car is going to find the best Drop route. Drop a deuce. Yeah, it takes, it takes all Pinch the guesswork out of it, and it's really you, all you have to do. You create this. I mean, not all you have to do. This is a huge undertaking, but the network that could be created would just have all the cars talking to each other. And so the cars know well in advance where they're all going. And they can see ahead on the road and be like, well, that street is already taken up by uh, quite a lot of cars. And this street, not so much. So the cars micromanage themselves and know how to take different and alternate routes in order to get to their locations on time. But what if people intentionally want their cars to drive bad? What if they're te- encouraging their car to like tailgate then and stuff? And- then they're fucking retarded, <laughs> and those people shouldn't have cars to begin with. That's that's the bare bottom line here. People, there are just people out there, a large number of people, based on the number of careless fucking accidents and deaths that happen uh, in cars, that just do not deserve the privilege of driving that machine themselves. Well, I think they deserve the privilege, but we should definitely have some sort of Autobahn or like racetrack that they can all go on and go crazy. And there's ambulances parked on the outside, and you got to pay like three thousand dollars for the privilege, and you just go like fucking four hundred miles an hour. I think I think that part of shitty town like human enlightenment should be that we are willing to understand and admit our own uh, capabilities and shortcomings, shortcomings, and realize that like the idea of everyone at sixteen starting this process where they get to drive around this like multiple ton death machine that can go up to 100 miles an hour this you know by all means it's this very reckless system that's set up where we don't really punish people appropriately for fucking up in their cars and like none of these punishments seem severe enough i know someone from Brantford whose brother has killed two people drunk driving and got his car back after the first time he did his time and then he got his car back and he got drunk and he did it again and not until the second time did he get his license taken away for good right but it was still like he killed somebody and the government went well all right we'll send you to jail and then when you get out here's the fucking the license to drive again this Mm. that's so fundamentally irresponsible the 20th century was so car centric that they kind of feel like it would be cruel and unusual 
unusual treatment to be able to revoke someone's driving forever. So yeah. I think that it's similar to um, there was a three strikes law that they were trying to pass in the UK and in the yeah. States where if you downloaded too many movies that just like take away your internet. Yeah. And the Supreme Court was like, you can't just take away somebody's internet. It's it's everything now. Yeah. It's 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 so intrinsic to being yeah. a human that. But like so the so the workaround for that is like the new generation of drivers, these next kids, they they more than any other generation want to fuck around on their tablets and their PS4s on transit, right? As illustrated by everyone being on their phone. So all you have to do is appeal to that subsect of people and be like, "Hey, you know what? We'll reinvent cars and we'll make them for you. You don't have yeah, to, you don't have to drive them. And Tell your car where you want to go." You have interesting solutions as well for daycare and for pet care. Yeah. Cuz you can imagine an autonomous um vehicle driving up and picking up Poochie cuz yeah. Poochie's got to go to the vet and it knows to go to the gate and Poochie just gets in the back of the car and it takes him or like, you know, your child needs to go to the airport unattended. You can send the autonomous car to sky's the limit, but it, it's <laughs> like, I like all those ideas, but it really is. People have to surrender this sort of archaic idea that it's like this human right to be able to drive yourself around. And every time you talk to somebody who loves cars and you make these points, like I, I had a conversation with someone really recently who's like a car mechanic Loves cars yeah. and drives his car around. He always drives a little dangerously, and I, and I always bring it up to him in his car. I'm like, can you just like chill out on your driving? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's super respectful about it. But we got into this conversation where I was like, hey, what do you think about this? And like, if, if you couldn't drive a car anymore, but your car did all these things for you, it allowed you to sort of be on the internet or do whatever, and it was more efficient because rather than all these people trying to take the same major routes to work and home, blah, blah, blah. Every car knew where every other car was going and was able to map out a route collectively. All the cars are working together on the grid to decide how to evenly distribute the cars based on where they're going. Because honestly, an AI or just like a system could do that a lot better. It could time cars so that everyone's moving at the right speeds. It takes the guesswork out of driving. It takes the accidents, the common accidents out of driving. All you have to do is build a system that's easily maintained and easily protected. And that takes everyone being like, this is what we want. I can imagine confusing scenarios where the human driver is sitting in an idling car and the car is just watching the traffic go by and you're like, what the fuck is it doing? Yeah. And it times the exact moment and then it like puts pedal to the metal and it's able to just like drive hit every light swerve around the corner yeah and deliver you to the spot it's 30 seconds faster than had it been idling in traffic it's what the self-driving cars are already sort of reaching at and if you push that idea you get political power behind it i do have a little bit Uh, if you push that idea and you really you get everyone on board and you you develop a system that works it could change driving it could make it the way that it's been explained to me i don't remember whether i heard it on a podcast or if i read it um but they were saying that it's going to be implemented by insurance rates so once you have autonomous cars outperforming human drivers right then suddenly you have to pay a premium to drive your own car yeah and eventually it just will be too expensive for people to that's afford that's great that sounds fucking perfect like Mm -hmm. that's if that's the way it has to sort of undo the car uh industry and replace it with something that's much more efficient mm. than that but I, that's I also fine. think that the second wave will be uh demand from transit systems mm-hmm. because you can imagine an autonomous streetcar, mm-hmm. especially because it's on rails um being able to go 
24 hours a day without shift breaks. Yeah. And it would be much safer uh, to operate too because you don't need to protect the drivers from going to bad neighborhoods and stuff. You yeah. can just like hop on the thing. Yeah. And it, um, it could just be, you know, so much better than it is now. Honestly, city driving and just the way that roadways work is terribly inefficient. We basically modeled stuff off of uh, like civilizations from centuries ago where we're like oh yeah we'll just continue to do that we'll build curvy ass roads and like we're we'll just build this completely inefficient system and now we're unwilling to change it all we'll do is patch it up and keep it the same way and like kind of build on it like oh rather than tearing up a street and putting something in that's going to last they'll just come back every two or three years and put patches on the same spots how many times when we were living at Manning, the summer came around and suddenly they were just redoing those sidewalks or redoing the road? <laughs> it happened four or five times when I was living there. I was like, oh, more construction on the same thing. They're just wasting resources and time and work and effort on the same road. Do you know why that happens? Because it's not built properly in the first place, I would think. I would imagine that it's a bad infrastructure. They have uh, different construction companies that mm-hmm. are all bidding to get the right to work on certain parts of the city. There's a company that does the sewer lines. There's a company that does the underground phone lines. There's a company that does the pipes and the, there's a company that pours the sidewalk and a different company that lays the asphalt. Yeah. And they're all part of a bidding process and the city picks the cheapest. But what ends up happening is if you've got like different companies all scheduling and having to balance their schedules, different people are available at different times to do the work. So sometimes the people who are going to install the sidewalk are available first and they yeah. install the new sidewalk. And then the new people who are coming next to do they the have sewers. to tear up the sidewalk yeah. because this, they need to get at the sewers. And so it's all completely jumbled. <sighs> they don't coordinate with one another and they can't because it would be a little bit more expensive if they had to go in order. And, it can, and like <laughs> it's just it's amazing how inconvenient the whole system it just seems so absurd that we but live democratic in this world. yeah because everybody kind of gets their say but <laughs> but then nothing really properly gets done like why aren't all those people being hired to go do the same area at the same time right like it just seems like we live in a world where we can do incredible things with the organization and we can't in the biggest city this is the work that needs to be done yeah this is the work that needs to be done civic planning and like you know city city reform that really changes these old school ideas into new ones that actually work I know that sounds so like, oh, well, the previous generation didn't know what they were doing. They sort of did. Like, all generations have been adding to the puzzle, but, like, we will, like, yeah, I mean, we Seth need Godin, to add. Seth we need... Godin is constantly pointing out that all of this new infrastructure, the whole internet is a connection machine. Yeah. And we've got these brilliant pocket computers now that make it um, very, very easily for you and I to, like, keep in contact and, like, mm. kind of mind meld. Yeah. And what are we using them for? Like people are just fucking around with Angry Birds and Candy Crush, right? Yeah. Whereas we can, like, we can there's actually a lot of these little problems that could be solved by having a facilitator and somebody running a podcast and getting like these different voices together to understand that there's a better way to coordinate. Yeah. But in general, we spend our time just on entertainment and toys and stuff. And and it's because we're almost relegated to doing that because the the red tape behind actually getting anything done and the fact that as far as technologies come and the fact that it's permeated every part of your life people are still able to make the argument that like people uh, internet opinions don't matter 
and that like there's still people out there in the political system and in like you know in television and blah blah who will still tell you still now tell you that the internet is not the end all be all of like information and like it's it's not what everybody wants and there's still like a sub of like a subsect of people who like subscribe to TV and like that's all they wanted or they're just politicians who wouldn't like you know they don't have Twitter they don't have any connection to the people who are asking them for things right like if you're not active on Twitter and stuff like that as a politician then you're completely ignoring this huge gigantic community of people that you could be connected to during the last election there was several MPs mm-hmm. that I passed or came to my door and they were telling me all about their policies and I was like yeah 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 I'm very busy what you should do if you don't win the election is start a podcast. Mm-hmm. And they laughed it off. They thought that that was silly and uh, kind of like a fad suggestion. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm 100% serious because like, this is how ideas are disseminated. Yeah. And in the age of the internet where you have the opportunity to be able to whisper in somebody's ear for three hours a day mm-hmm. and talk about the things you care about and talk about the world you'd like to see, why wouldn't you be taking that opportunity? Yeah. If you're somebody who's not interested in that, I don't think you should be governing. Because I think that it's such an obvious tool for yeah. any kind of political leader. And that's and that's why people people on like a grassroots level don't start many uh, like cultural revolutions using the internet or using the tools they have at hand because the people in charge are uh, are able to almost dismiss it as being silly, right? And because they're in charge, it could just be their resounding truth among the baby boomers still holding important positions in North America mm-hmm. where they're just like, ah, oh, I, I don't use a computer. I don't need that. Like brushing it off like something like that. Whereas it's like everybody needs that shit. Fundamentally, it should be a human right at this point because it's something that's going to grip the world and become the tool. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's the tool that brings us all together. Any, anyone who's ever had grandiose dreams about a world in which, uh, our political ideas are shared and we kind of break down a bit of the social barriers between different political uh, agendas and like, you know, democracy and socialism and communism, stuff like that. And we start to see eye to eye. It doesn't become this big filtered thing where you're only getting one point of view, like which is the reason the world hates each other. It's the only yep. reason that we feel that way about the Middle East and why the Middle East feels that way about us is because like a small portion of the population has done all the talking i think one thing that joe rogan does really well is that he'll have people on his show that he disagrees with yeah but he won't go to war with it he really hears people out and he encourages them in a way to try to get to the bottom of of why they feel the way they do and i think that that's that's a, a an interesting kind of challenge to everybody like figure out what are the aspects of the world and the way people behave that you don't understand and you think is is uh, backwards mm-hmm. and do a homework project where you figure out the empathy and what exactly it is that is attracting people to that idea and what what they're scared of and yeah why they've arrived there i completely agree i recently especially because like you know i'm i get really heated about certain areas of discussion because just like yeah drivers is a big one like where i can't help but i get really into the idea because I just think it's a huge problem. I know I've been in a car accident myself. I know how dangerous the cars are. I've known a lot of people who've been hit by streetcars or hit by cars, reckless drivers. I understand like the human element is the problem in driving, right? It's not the cars, it's the humans. It's like it's the same thing with like the gun problem. The guns, gun, the guns, guns don't exist. kill. Gun, guns, guns don't kill people. Cars kill people. 
Well, and pe- people kill people. And people kill cars. Reckless, reckless, out of control people kill people with whatever implements they'll get their hand on, be it mm-hmm. a kitchen knife or a gun or a car. It's whatever is at the hands of the crazy person, right? It really doesn't matter what it is. It's that human or the element. distracted person. That's yeah. The distracted you're almost distra- describing a lot of accidents being caused by people who are just kind of oblivious and not aware of the yeah. danger. But anyways, the the point was that I I've been forcing myself now to check check myself whenever i see someone who has like a really what i would immediately like my knee-jerk reaction would be is like oh that's fucking bullshit or that's ridiculous like how how could you feel that way you know hateful things i I now try and like step back and really go okay well you know there's more at work here than just this like simple ideology that this person is putting out there's like a whole person behind this who like on a social level is probably tolerable or like I could probably have a conversation with, and if this had never come up, would I be so hesitant to, to think that this was just another human being? Like, uh, to to brush someone off for their ideology is completely, uh, it's a waste of time, right? Like you're wasting an opportunity in the short life that you could connect with somebody who has like different ideals than you. Yeah, and that's one of the things that like our current, the whole like PC movement and just like very combative internet, <laughs> internet. Uh, morality that makes it hard for us to really like remain friends with people that we would have been friends with before and like kind of keep those social circles together because you start revealing the ideologies of your friends that you go oh oh but i don't agree with that and then you get so upset by that part of that person that you go oh well i don't agree with that to the person to the point where now like i don't feel the same about you anymore like i don't necessarily consider you the same kind of friend like that is a i think a problem with people that I know where people have just revealed too much about how they feel and it's it's clumsy and because no one's really like open to conversation or hear anyone out, everyone's just like kind of on their own side. We've now just got a lot of arguments going on and a lot, not a lot getting done socially. Yeah. And that's so now I'm really trying to check myself and be like, well, anytime I don't agree disagree with somebody or I, I just don't agree with what they're saying. I try and sublimate that as quickly as I can and just say, well, you know, there's probably a reason they feel that way. There might be something in their life that's like really made that seem obvious to them that I don't know about. And since I've not experienced it, you know, maybe that would have been my reaction too if I was born into a different part of the world, a different area of culture, you know, like, you know, I could have had parents that fed me certain ideas in an age where I was malleable and like I, they became a part of my basic ethics right and when someone is challenging your basic ethics your first instinct is not going to be to open your ears to them and to be like oh i want to hear all this you're going to defend yourself you're on your own side right you're your own biggest advocate so you get on the defensive stance and you go well no like i'm not fucked up i don't have ethics you have ethics that are wrong like you're the one that's wrong and that's where we are now like the soapbox of the internet has caused us all to come to this standstill where we all think we're right and everyone else is wrong, and we'll only hear the things that we want to hear from and the people we want to hear it's them gonna from. It's going to develop in stages too. Um, like you watch uh, Cesar the Dog Whisperer, mm-hmm. and he is a great summary of what I think human characteristics. I think human characteristics and dog characteristics mirror one another on a very basic level. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like the behavior of the alpha, somebody who's like in control and confident is they have upright posture they speak only like when the information is like vital 
and that tension and the amount of like calmness that they have mm-hmm. creates um, a feeling of ease among like the betas that are surrounding them. Right. On the other hand, <laughs> like when we're in our insecure mode and we're really worried about our position mm-hmm. and the fears coming through, we become yappy little dogs right. that are just like shouting about everything and yeah. being reactionary and timid. And the we find like I think after having some experience like trying to share our ideas that way that Mm. it's not very persuasive to behave that way and so i think like what's happening right now is we've only had things like twitter for about five years Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people who are new to it and they're very excited that they've finally been given this megaphone and there's a lot of pain out there and people are taking the megaphone and just like acting as if they're never going to have an opportunity to speak again right and they're just barfing out every single thing that's on their chest and that they're worried about and sharing that pain right i think that like over the next like five or six years there's going to be this healing tide that kind of comes over where people realize that the microphone's not going away Mm -hmm. you can talk every day about the things that you're worried about and that kind of talk therapy will make everybody a little bit more calm measured and a little bit less fanatical about like the way that they talk about stuff that they care about i really hope so only because it's now gotten to the point uh, you know, confirmation bias is something that really scares me. Mm. That idea of you know forcing your proclivities on other people and also not being able to perceive a situation outside of yourself, right? Always looking at whatever's happening to you, good or bad, through this one set of ideals and reacting in that way. Always being able to find the, uh, the reason why something relates to something else, which is like... You know, how conspiracy theorists are born, where it's all this, like, mindless connecting of different things to support this, like, one central core idea, which I think it's, like, a big problem amongst people I see posting online. And you have people who are always on the defense because they feel so subjugated and they feel so oppressed, which are perfectly logical and real feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, those are things they're actually feeling. But if if you rush into a situation... Being a super headstrong, afraid person who's acting out of fear. Like if you're constantly reacting and acting out of fear, you're triggering that in the people that you're interacting with, right? Like that every action has an equal and opposite reaction, which is just going to be two people who are on that like defensive plane. And so I've seen some of my, some friends, people who I really like, who have just kind of gone off this weird deep end who are now constantly just posting really angry pieces, angry articles, who are constantly commenting on things, being super negative about everything, and always like hitting home on these very like rigid points. And you you literally will never, ever, ever change someone's mind that way. There's never been a conversation or an argument. These are like basically only arguments. There's never been an argument that has ended in either party going, leaving with any new information because you're only shouting what you already know and you're completely blocking out the rest. And that's all the internet seems to be right now is people going, my opinion, rah! and then someone else not even reading it, like it's literally the, it's skimming the five it. Minutes five minutes of hate. Five minutes of hate, exactly. From. And it's really, it needs to, there needs to be just more discussion. It used to be something where like someone would get up and they'd be able to, everyone would actually pay attention. You'd say, well, I think this is wrong with stuff. And someone could 
debate it and question it without it be becoming a shouting match and mm-hmm. without everyone getting super angry at each other or an accusatory it could be the, like the free share of ideas right the open society is something that like we should not stop emulating we should not stop emulating things like uh just like you know the very beginnings of open society and free discussion and the free sharing of ideas we should not be so on guard and so sure of ourselves that we're not able to debunk our own theories you know and always remind each other that the only reason that we have all these western democracies is freedom of speech that's like the core value yeah um i remember there was an introductory introductory um documentary about noam chomsky Mm -hmm. that a lot of people watch is shot in like the 80s um and one of the early controversies that are covered in the documentary, because it's kind of like, what's he doing this week? And Professor Chomsky is defending this Holocaust denier, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are falsely accusing him of anti-Semitism and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Chomsky was like, he wrote the foreword to this book that was by this Holocaust denier. And the foreword in the book had absolutely nothing to do with the man's politics. Right. Chomsky was defending the idea that regardless of how repugnant and stupid the ideas in the book are, you shouldn't ban it. No. You don't ban books. And you don't... Um, you have to defend very, very passionately the idea that like people are allowed to speak their mind yeah. and not be imprisoned for it and stuff. Because the so. ban... Like, one thing, hilariously, like, that Orwell sort of teaches through 1984 and through the, his other books is that the idea of banning a book or like a piece of literature is almost what sparks interest in it. Right. One mm-hmm. of the, one of the best ways to promote a book is to create controversy around it. 50 shades of gray, the anarchist cookbook, anarchist cookbook, all these things that have these like controversies around them. Are like, Satanic oh, like, Bible. They should be banned. People are calling for them to be pulled off of shelves and like they should be on a list if they buy this book or blah, 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 blah. All these different like outrageous things surrounding the book only make the certain sect of people who like find that book appetizing to want it more. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to take this like take this wind out of this anti-Holocaust sales as stupid as it is mm-hmm. would only reaffirm to the people who already kind of believe that that there must be some conspiracy to cover it up. And, like, why would they ban this book if it was, like, not dangerous? You know, those are the kind of things you have to think about when you think about censorship and how it's going to maybe validate a stupid idea more than it subjugates it and and create more problems. Do you think there needs to be an adversary for any political movement to work? Because there's been times where elections have rolled around, and I've been kind of fatigued talking about orange versus blue versus red yeah the way people cheerlead just the the party colors and don't really talk about anything of substance Mm -hmm. and i've kind of like put forward the idea that like you know we've got all the tools that we need to start building the fucking star trek future like does anybody have any kind of like larger plans about what this whole thing is all about and where we're headed and where you want to be in 100 years nobody even has those conversations anymore no there's like small groups of people in silicon valley that are working on building stuff everybody in the government is is just like throwing paper balls at each other and screaming so we're, about we're, yeah screaming about gay marriage and like you know <laughs> drug legalization and just stuff that obvious stuff that matters just but it's totally it's obvious. obvious and also simple there are like simple solutions to all these things, but the the argument has become like their necessary evil. And I think it's 
for especially in the American system, but in our system too. It we're like and it's whole, totally deliberate because they they intentionally pick political issues that affect a small sliver of the population. Yeah, and that's what they spend all of their time debating. Yeah. Some, and and they, the smaller the better. It's like and the it's to almost to validate a political platform, you need that opposite political platform to. Uh, to set aside it to prove that yours works better uh i feel like that's the way that the political system is set up where no idea can stand on its own every idea needs uh an example of why something needs to be changed or why something doesn't work which sets all these parties against each other because yeah. they're all trying to validate they always have their boogeyman they always yeah. have their 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 uh downward spiral or their their disaster scenario it's like rob ford can't get a second term can you imagine the damn there would be no toronto left if rob ford was mayor for another four years like well probably not he'd probably be immediately censured by toronto council yeah he'd probably continue driving drunk until he got in an accident but even like yeah all all that's it's just the sensationalization of our politics has made it so those long-term discussions are completely moot. Like, no one wants to have the, well, what's NASA doing? Like, NASA's having their their state of NASA address. They do their own little, like, State of the Union thing. Oh, cool. I've never seen that. It's on tomorrow live during the daytime. If you're around or, like, you got a break or it'll be on, the webcast will be on YouTube later, you should watch it. They talk about, like, a lot of great things that no one's ever going to hear. Mm. Like, you'll watch these NASA broadcasts on, on YouTube and they're having these awesome conversations about, like, well, like, we're going to go back to the moon. We're going to do it right. We're going to try and go to Mars. We're going to try and bridge all these, like, immeasurable gaps in order to learn about our solar system and really like advance human knowledge they're doing it purely out of interest and out of like well we have the means so why don't we do it dude can you imagine they were doing moon missions and you could log on and watch like through vr through vr there you go and participate in the missions or just like see through the astronauts yeah and maybe that would get people interested because my point was going to be that you see these live broadcasts on youtube Mm. you can see how many people are viewing it'll be like 30 or like 110 and you're like they're talking about these amazing (laughs) projects and there's there's like not even enough people to fill a square block watching it in america and i'm watching 110 get more than that on audio grave what the fuck is yeah i'm like on america i'm watching it and i don't live in america it's not even like pertinent to my interests really i mean or to my like no life is kind of a human yeah for sure nasa and spacex they're all they're for humanity but it's that like people don't People aren't interested in that kind of long-term shit because they've been convinced now that all that really matters in their life is what's going to affect them in the next couple of years. It's like, holy fuck, this next election is the most important election of your whole life. It's never going to be the most important election of your whole life. But going back to what we were saying about empathy, right? I can understand where they're coming from because there's that great David Cross bit where he's he's talking about George Bush. He's criticizing George Bush putting money in for Mars mission. Right. He's like, we're going to Mars. Everybody hear that? We're going to Mars. You're going to set a base there. You're going to have, you know, some agriculture. It's going to be great. And then he's like, oh, you didn't think you were all were coming, did you? It's yeah. Like, we're going to Mars. You're staying here and paying for it. You're paying you know, for that it. That yeah. kind of thing. There, there can be an argument if you're from a rural town like Flint and your fucking pipes are, like, contaminated with lead and oh, you can't sure. drink the water anymore. They're like, why are they putting a person on the moon when they got to fix our fucking... But- 
that's infrastructure. The, that's the perfect question yeah. to ask because mm-hmm. the thing is you can do both. It's not like a matter where like, well, we shouldn't go to the moon because Flint has a water problem. We should be using the fact that we're an advanced 21st century society that can go to the moon to fix their fucking water supply. It's not a matter of like, it's this unfixable situation. We got fucking water filtration yeah, just figured out. So many goddamn bombs and fix both. Yeah. It's like you, the money's there. The work is there. The, all the resources and the ideas and the tech specifications are there. They could fix all of that. Everything that's wrong, like on a social level on this, like water problems in the, in the reserves, like in Canadian reserves or in Flint, Michigan, just simple, simple stuff like that. Agriculture problems, all that stuff could be fixed if they could just fucking stop bickering about those four or five main things for even five minutes. But the way it's been sensationalized is they never can. They can never go, well, it always has to be these big buzz things and it always has to be these massive ideas. Of like, can you imagine Trudeau pulled all those troops out of Syria and yeah. said that we're going to use all these people back home? And they sent like the Canadian military to like build proper infrastructure in the native reserves and fix up all these embarrassing yeah. third world conditions. The Canadian, that are- the Canadian armed forces are made up of specialists. Like You're not allowed to be a grunt. They're all engineers and like plumbers and stuff like they've been trained by the army to do all these various tasks to keep an army base going and to like be functional to all have a job. They're all like the perfect people to go and fix this crisis situation in these reserves that Harper wouldn't even talk to any of the leaders about. Right. And it's like the fact that it still has to be like it has to be now just fucking do it. You don't even have to take troops out of Syria. How many reserve troops do we probably have? Just take them out of Syria. I think that that would be a great symbolic kind of gesture. Yeah. Like where you're taking these resources and you're putting them where you, it would show immediately where your priorities are. Human resources mm-hmm. and like human life. Valuing human life for what it is, which is should be like a basic core concept of politics. But it's not. I don't even feel like either party really represents like basic core concepts of uh, right to water and like comfort of life the the fact that we're now just talking about guaranteed wage after we've suffered through 50 years of poverty and people dying on the streets and not having homes and going crazy on the streets losing perfectly good Mm. average people losing everything ending up on the street and going bananas and then us holding our noses at them and saying oh those fucking people they're lazy they couldn't get jobs like all of those people are just these Crazy, lazy people who just couldn't make it. And they, you don't think some of them There's just a, got an, bad an breaks? Solid that I work with at the design studio, who's a conservative. And yeah. I was asking him, like, why it's appropriate to ask questions about, you know, when Donald Trump was going on about bombing all the ISIS oil fields. Yeah. It's, it's so funny that the presidential debate is allowed to spiral into locations like that where they spend more time talking about Syria than they do any domestic issue in the United States. Yeah. You go like, what, who are you running? What, are, who are you running to lead here? Exactly. Well, and the way he put it was that because when you have like a giant industrial country like the United States, yeah, they aren't unable to like run the standard of living that they do unless they're harvesting resources from other countries. Yeah. And, the way he was putting it from his worldview is that it's all an economic kind of, it's this big economic bubble and the United States is like absorbing stuff from other countries to make that bubble strong. Yeah. If you were to like cut yourself off from these conflict areas and 
wean yourself off the money that that comes from being a part of those conflicts right suddenly like your economy would take two steps down and the way that impacts like on a human level is when the economy is soft you've got like all sorts of people who are just unemployed now right right? and then the depression that comes with that and the suicides and you know there is real human death tolls that come from just being poorer oh yeah, yeah yeah and so they think about that aspect of it too like the conservative folks feel like they have to keep feeding the engine yeah otherwise like they're not saving lives by by not being involved like they're costing american lives instead of yeah it's the ouroboros it's the snake eating its own tail uh, you know like like a really creepy way of looking at it i was like ah jesus and i i mean that's that's pretty sound sound Mm -hmm. logic and it is definitely since world war ii they've become a war-based culture where like conflict is good like whenever uh war is good the american economy is good because they build so many fucking weapons like anyone being at war i just don't understand why they can't why does why does it have to be weaponized technology why can't you like put that money into making machines that harvest all the plastic out of the ocean or different like humanitarian things that every country would be like yeah because let's give america because right now i I mean the the world stage is sort of that you know most of the world is not that far removed from war the fact that we haven't had war in our soil in a long time and that we haven't had to fight anyone on like american or canadian ground we haven't had to fucking just fight for our home in a long time ever we ever basically like our our a few we're generations removed from like defending our homeland the rest of the world's really not though it's still all like a very recent thing and we build all the best and most complicated uh war machines like the states basically is like uh, they build all the best planes and all the best guns and they build the most of them so they're most readily available and then the desperation of war is able to dictate these like incredibly high prices for all of their hardware. Um, so why would they ever change? Why would they ever want to build anything that supports like a humanitarian level of peace or Plus like something sexy about weapons, uh, like a very base level? Yeah, like pretty much everybody agrees it's fun going to the shooting range. There's something about it. It's a very like raw demonstration of human power and perfection, like sleek engineering. But like there are other things that. If you really just give stop and brain sparks. give those brain sparks that don't have to be that like, you know, imagine if you watched a fucking rocket take off, like you watch a shuttle take off mm-hmm. a SpaceX thing in Watching person that uh, shuttle, the first rocket to land. Yeah, that was. But even cool. but even now, like, I feel like Landed people don't under uh, they're like they don't appreciate the idea that you're standing like a couple miles away from this gigantic fucking water heater full of jet fuel that's being blasted. <laughs> like through all the atmosphere in a matter of minutes it's like leaving earth to go off of earth like just that simple idea is one of those engineering boners that everyone should still be getting but guns are sexier i guess and you know our modern culture just really appreciates the whole nature of human combat we're just posting about the the fusion generator didn't they do something with the fusion generator this uh, yeah. week? that's actually written here uh <laughs> it's on the show notes it's on the show notes uh yeah both china and germany have both taken new steps in fusion generation which is uh for the uninitiated i thought listener. everybody was working together on one thing in europe no there's a there's a few different projects going on right now germany germany's heading up one so and China's got another one going on. They just released a report that they're also working on that. It's basically like if you don't know the difference between fission and fusion, uh, fission is the splitting 
of atoms, and fusion is the combination of atoms to create power. Whoop. And the difference being that fission is highly radioactive and dirty, and the power that you get from it is, uh, you know, it's it's great. You get a you get a ton of energy from this small reaction. But it's dirty, and the runoff from it lasts a long time, and you have this... You need a lot of uranium. You need a lot of uranium, and it's dangerous. It's, like, mm. essentially dangerous, whereas fusion is the process that goes on in our sun. It's basically like plasma, which is the fourth state um, that they don't talk too much about, but superheated plasma. The in, hidden state. Yeah, in a... State they don't want you to know about. It's basically... Fusion energy is doesn't have a radioactive effect, it's not super dangerous, and the amount of energy it creates compared to fission is, you know, unfathomably higher. It's just hand over foot a much uh, higher reaction and just a just a better power generation you're going to get from fusion. You're basically creating your own tiny little sun and harvesting it for power. And if they can figure that out... Oh, y'all going to get a power plant. Yeah, just Hook a, that little fusion generator. It's, inside it's, of your people heads. have been trying for a long time, and now it's uh, the Germans were the first one. They sustained plasma for an entire Keep second. Keep going, I got to piss. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> no, we can just take a fucking break, Jesse. <laughs> this is gonna be a perfect edit point and edit, Brendo. No, I gotta pee. Hey, hey, hey. Piss break, piss break for Jesse. Do a little ending segment. This is the wrap up. Back from an emergency piss break. Okay, rapid fire. Rapid, rapid fire, fire VR. What do you know about VR? What do you know about fucking lawnmower man? Fucking murder <laughs> she wrote. Fucking uh, Nintendo tried to to launch that VR headset back in the day. Oh, but that you was a VR. Puck. Yeah, um, the Virtua Boy you're talking about. Virtua Boy. Yeah, but it was like crazy bright red, burning red <laughs> graphics. It hurt everyone's eyes and it gave everyone headaches. Everyone I have ever known who said they played that said, "There's there's no exaggeration on how fast that thing will." Legit. I had one for like two weeks. Yeah, that it will legit we, give we you a headache back. in the first ten minutes of using it. That you'll be like, "Oh God!" <laughs> I was always like advocating that we get the cutting edge. You know, when they came out with, like, Sega CD or yeah. whatever. And then my older brother, James, was, was nine years older, and he was constantly the voice of reason, where he's just like, there is no games for this thing. Yeah. Take it back and get this thing yeah. for the same money, and you can play it for, like, 90 hours. Yeah. And so we would have, like, a Virtua Boy for a day and realize that the game that came with it was fucking boring, and there was only two other options, yeah. and then we just take it back and get and you got Nintendo you, games. you got out of that... Uh... You can hold you can hold the entire collection of Virtual Boy games in one hand. All the cartridges that were ever released for that system can be in one stack. And in it happened hand. to me with 32X. We bought that stupid 32X oh, dongle 32X. that's stuck in the top of the, the, the Genesis. System. Yeah, and then the it just had fucking Star Wars and Doom, and that was it. Like, yeah, was... it made the, well, I mean, Sega made all these promises about their revival ports for the Genesis Master System, right? Where it's like we're gonna bring out the Sega CD. And the 32X, and it's going to inject all this new life into our fucking system, blah, blah, blah. But it was really like they were bulky and ugly and had, like, t tons of different power supplies to them. And, and sitting, like, just 10 or 15 feet away from your PC that mm -hmm. could actually do all this stuff, like, right away. Yeah. You know, that was the big killer. Well, I, I, I never had a time in my life where 
I didn't have a computer that was infinitely better and had more games and could do more than the like consoles, consoles I had. I mean, even when I had a PlayStation One and there were all these great games ever PlayStation One, there was still always this like ticking in the back of my mind where it's like, oh, there are crazier, better looking games and like more advanced games coming out for PC all the time. You could be playing Tie Fighter. Look at that Tie Fighter joystick. That's a lot of missile buttons. Yeah, even like you know, like I don't know. It's the PC Master Race thing is totally uh, a real deal. (laughs) Every game looks better on PC, and the modern community because the consoles don't let people mod the games. Like Fallout Four claims that they're going to let PC mods come onto the consoles, so the PS4 can get like the grass mods and all the realism mods to retexture and remap the game and add stuff into it like the PC version always could. So if that's true, that'll be like a really cool first where like, oh, suddenly we can mod our console games. But mm. that's the distinction where games have longer life. They can look better. They can get remapped and like retextured and modded by people. Um, it's just, it's everything that's good about console gaming with all this extra freedom and open source feeling and this like feeling of infinity that you can get out of the same title. Think about how many mods there were for Half-Life. Think about how many mods we can make a reality once the fucking VR headsets are implemented. Yeah, that's why. Like, go to city council, and you could get the different flavors of modded city council, where the mayor's, you know, a pokeroo in one scenario, or everybody's NASCAR, and you get to see the different policies zooming around the track, racing each other. That's why I think it's really, (laughs) it's really beautiful that Unreal has put out Unreal Engine Four for free. And one of the things I remember I wanted to mention this earlier is that if you release any games or videos using it, they get a small cut. Because they're giving you the thing for free, so you're, they're going to take like five percent of what you make uh, off it, which is a good model. That's like a, you're if you make money, then we'll make a little bit of money. But if you never do, then like whatever, the software is still free. You had your fun trying to make a game and you failed. Hmm. Um, but you know, like the whole making a VR experience is not going to be that terrifying is if there's a software that'll do it natively and it's like intuitive and it works like programs they've used before like photoshop and premiere and all these different things then brendan you need to apprentice at some sort of game studio <laughs> somebody who's working on this shit well this you got time it's the call out to anybody who maybe wants to let me work at their place and learn the business i could be an office admin for a while and just do bitch work <laughs> i can smoke you up I can beta <laughs> test your thing. It's not really a desirable quality. <laughs> Anyways, Jesse. All VR. That was the VR episode. All VR. I get to edit this one. Next week, you you pick the topic. You get the edit. <laughs> and you get to pick the guest. Maybe Ilya will come next week. Ilya's coming tomorrow. Is he actually? Yeah. So we can film another one tomorrow. If you're around, yeah. Uh, I might have to do some sanding at some point <laughs> late in the night, but uh, no, I'm doing like for money. But um, what? Here's what we should do. You gotta you gotta think of a topic right now, and then we'll we'll do a little bit of research, or I'll do some research, whatever. Come with some shit. Pick a topic. <laughs> what's what's on your mind, Jesse? Hotspot. It's too much pressure. Oh my god. <laughs> You're gonna I just like hearing people's stories. So I mean, I'll probably come up with a series of. I, the thing that you're missing though is we're not experts in any of these topics. No, it doesn't. So it, ha- it, it doesn't have to be that. A... It's called theme, Jesse. It's oh. called consistent. We just a, yeah. a starting point, somewhere to launch from tomorrow. Yeah. So I would recommend themes. You know, like the scaredest you've ever been. 
or oh, something I like emotional. Yeah, no, I'm not core. I'm not opposed to that because yeah. I think virtual reality was something that was not so specific. Where like we were bottlenecking ourselves into talking about this one thing. I'm gonna edit all of this out, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, but I think it's it's like you know having cool launching off points, even like that whole like oh, what's the weirdest thing you saw this week? It's you know you miniature need. themes. You need uh, some sort of fishbowl that's full of like Jeopardy categories. You go like potpourri for 500 and you open it up and it's just a conversation topic. Like whenever there's a pause. <laughs> this? Well, that's what I, I'm kind of trying to do with like this whole thing Sherlock here. There's Holmes like mysterious adversary. Yeah. Anyways, this, none death, of this will be in the podcast. At a point here. So that was a pretty fun episode. <laughs> All VR. All VR. Brought to you by some that was delicious coffee. Junior caramels. Real, junior caramels. Coffee Jessica Gordon's delicious kicking horse coffee. Kicking horse coffee. Fucking cricket bars. Cricket protein. What are they called? It's EXO. EXO. Tim Ferriss. Cricket EXO protein cricket bar. Savory meal bar. Barbecue. Eleven grams of protein. Yeah. The interesting aspects. If you want like a quick review, um, most of the time you buy protein bars. Yeah. They're uh, desserts yeah they kind of flavor them like chocolate or vanilla or whatever the fuck right um this company is interesting in that they have savory flavors right um which i prefer because a lot of the times you'll eat that protein shit in a dessert bar and it'll kind of have a weird aftertaste yeah like pennies or something Pe- well people want that because the they palate. want they want to trick themselves into thinking that they're having a treat but also doing something good for themselves like Oh, I'm having my chocolate granola bar, but it's good for me though. It's protein, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. good for me. But just eat, doesn't like, need to be that. eat some jerky or you know I'd rather eat a, like a piece of of uh, dried flesh or you know crumbled crickets or any kind of we we should animal protein. You and I should buy a month of Soylent, and we should do we should we should do a month of Soylent. You know who you got to interview about that is Rob McClarty. Did he do Soylent really? You got to move in with Rob McClarty for like 48 hours and just play nonstop Warcraft. And drink Soylent, and is that what he's? Does he drink Soylent? Really? Yeah, he's like a he's a virtual, virtual human now. That's crazy. He runs on like hey, Rob, replacement, and I haven't seen you in a while, Rob. If you're listening to this, maybe, maybe you can be his intern. Maybe he <laughs> wants to build the virtual reality. Let's build a VR place together, man. The, he's, that's been his dream for a really long time. Oh, I so know. I miss. I honestly, if we could get Rob on one of these, that'd be great. I haven't seen Rob in a while. We might have to bring the equipment to him. Which I'm open to. I'm open to that. If we can, if we can get on board and get Rob and Ilya together, I think that would be a fucking. And Rob, episode. we got to get Rob super baked and then interview him. Like couple, he can be our sage. C- we, couple, can, we can ask him about technology. Uh, he's a smart. He used to he's be a smart, smart man. He used to be um, kind of a philosopher, right? Like when we were in college, he did all these crazy watercolor didn't, paintings. Didn't he and go to school write, for philosophy? Yeah, yeah he has and a computer degree. science. And then uh, he would write these giant, like, essays on beauty right. and electronics and uh, different, like, s- simulation uh, points of view. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that he's a, he's a fun person to hear uh, babble about. Yeah, he'd be the perfect philosophical. The perfect one to do a second uh, VR episode with or yeah. about anything. He knows would, a lot about anime, too. Yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> Talk Dragon Ball all day. Dragon Ball, um, but yeah. So I think this is a uh, this was good. I think again, uh, this is this is an edit point right here, Jesse. I'm gonna take <laughs> I'm gonna take this out. Format's good. Yeah, I think I think the other 
thing that you're going to run into is that when you're trying to do something that's a little bit more directed, mm-hmm. there is some a lot more stumbling blocks because you're trying to stay on topic and you're trying to stay. No, no, no. It's it's not going to be like that. Trust me. Once you hear it, I think I think you're thinking I have this like big grand like cut for no, it no, for no. it. What I was going to say is that. Sometimes when you're just talking shit, you can stumble upon ideas that you wouldn't have considered if you were trying to stay on topic. No, absolutely. And I'm saying so. those the, the the ideas are the important parts, and sometimes the talking shit that leads into it can be like a little bit shorter. And every every time that like you'll notice that, for me as someone who listened, I I, I legit today have listened to probably f- four or five hours of podcast. I got up and I started listening to podcasts and do, going about my daily work and like doing stuff around the house. Like they're the slickest podcasts. They're just the best experiences. The ones that I like listening to most are the ones that know when to be like, oh, something that happened in the studio didn't matter. You don't need to listen to that. There's like moments where it was clearly like uh, that Besser podcast is perfect for it. And you're going to f- see when you get this cut tomorrow morning. Because I'm going to fucking work on it all night. I'm going to drink four more coffees and just Holy do this and get shit. really stoned. You're going to totally see what I mean. It's not It's not going to be some like super anal cut. It's going to be like quick. I believe in you, Brennan. Yeah, it's going to sound great. And this isn't going to be in it. <laughs> some, of some of it might be. But it's gonna might be in a different order. Anyways, let's just say goodnight. <laughs> Guys, that was a great podcast. We hope to tap... <laughs> We hope, we hope to see y'all again next week. I'm just going to whisper. It's moon loving. Moon loving. We'll just play more of that Jamiroquois song on the way out. Mm-hmm. Listen to that sweet Jamiroquois. Theme of the week. Theme of the week. Uh, Everything's going to be all right, people. This is a El Nino winter. This winter's got nothing. It's perfectly warm outside. Brought to you by the death of your childhood winter. <laughs> If you think you're ever going to get drunk and go tobogganing again and recapture some of that childhood wonder when you're 10 going down a hill, it's over. Speaking of which, I went out for Cameron Thompson's birthday. Yeah. Cameron Thompson, if you're listening to this. Happy birthday. Shout out. Uh, We found um, that frozen hills, even if there's just like three or four inches of permafrost, like no snow, if it's steep enough, you can totally take a salvaged rug like a you know Persian rug that you find on the side of the road mm-hmm. and slide down a hill with like seven people <laughs> all on the rug. Oh yeah. And if you have dogs with you, they'll chase you down the hill and then jump aboard <laughs> the moving carpet very excitedly and it's the most fun you'll ever have. I I genuinely miss out the, any winter what I really want is like one opportunity to go sledding or tobogganing or Beer just bogganing. like yeah so it's just so it, it's great how everyone like even hesitant people who are like oh, i don't know if i really want to do that once you get to the hill you slide down a couple times that inner child starts crawling out you start lo- losing that jaded hatred of winter mm-hmm. you start warming up your body just starts getting warm naturally and you're like yeah it's not that bad it might be bucking minus and you see those 15 old archival and, photos of toronto and winnipeg and stuff like that yeah minus 30 people are having a great time out yeah. skating out tobogganing very very popular yeah and now all people do is you know they're spending very little time outside it's maybe just from their car to the front door of the office yeah still they complain they're very insane. never hear the end of the uh, whoa whoa there's so much snow outside and also i'm diabetic are you jerry Seinfeld right now <laughs> 
Oh, actually, perfect point to go out on. Uh, the 90s sitcom nostalgia. Yes. And this is going to be preluded by either the Seinfeld or Friends theme. Maybe a mixture of both. But in Toronto right now, I just keep seeing this being posted. There's both a Seinfeld pop-up shop mm-hmm. and, Seinfeld and restaurant. a Friends pop-up shop. Oh, that are both coming shop. out like a coffee shop that are just like completely centra- centralized around those two shows. Central perk. So, so now it's like we're just, we're looking back on, I mean, Seinfeld's a good show. We're nostalgic we're about n- things that we watched on television. It's not even something that really happened to you, dude. No, and you know? <laughs> or not that long ago. Like now, we're looking back lustfully at Friends, being like, "Remember when Friends? Remember Friends? Remember when Friends was on TV and how great that was? No, it wasn't that great. I never watched it. But I think it's it's only natural. The same thing happened to us growing up. There would be references to fucking the Honeymooners and all of these shows that haven't been on television forever. Yeah, but now we're getting, like, w- weird people who are like, well, I'm going to turn that into a business. I, a- I knew all about La- I Love Lucy just from references in yeah. other stuff, and I had never seen the show so when now, I was a kid. now I think we should pick our own piece of obscure 90s sitcom, mm-hmm. something that, like, let's do, like, news radio. We'll make a news radio-themed restaurant up. or, like... Or go uh, even deeper. Like, what was that fucking show, Small Wonder? <laughs> Did you ever watch Small Wonder with the, the kid robot? Oh, yeah. Oh, if we're going to go that the route... Dad's, I think she may have died if, if he, like, reinvented his daughter as a cyborg. If we're going to go completely off the rails, we have to do ABC's Dinosaurs. <laughs> We'll make a cut that in. We'll make we'll make a uh, a restaurant where like a giant anthropomorphic John Goodman dinosaur is cooking burgers for you and like pushing. There's over like trees. the not the mama special and uh, oh that's great. Would it be a Chuck E. Cheese type of deal with animatronics? Sure. Or is there somebody in the suit? <laughs> sure, an animatronics warehouse that's just like dinosaurs themed, that just appeals to weird nostalgic hipsters who for some reason can't like if the ratings aren't so great we'll just set it up to have like a jukebox feed where you can get it to sing usher and stuff all uh what is it what's that band on you the rockafire rockafire no rockafire rockafire explosion or something like that i can't remember acapella something explosion but yeah it's uh it's great Spooky animatronics singing Usher songs. Couldn't yeah, be if you're better. unfamiliar with it, somebody owns the setup from Chuck E. Cheese, all of the robots, and they have a YouTube channel where they just pipe different music in and have the robots sing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty great. Kind of won the internet for a couple of days. Yeah. Anyways, that's been Idea Grave. Uh, Brando Black. Jesse Yules. See you next time, guys. Can't wait to hear this edit. It's going to edit that edit. edit. Virtual insanity. (laughs) Virtual insanity.